This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Play talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome in to Wins and Losses. I am your fearless host, Clay Travis. This is our sixth different episode of Wins and Losses. If you haven't heard it yet, I'd encourage you to go check out some of the earlier five episodes. Jason Whitlock, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, Shannon Terry, who sold rivals to Yahoo and 24-7 Sports to CBS. We talked to Mike Leach, Washington State head football coach, and Paul Feinbaum of the SEC Network and ESPN. We are joined to this uh, episode by the most read national columnist in all of the United States. I believe that is accurate. He is Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports. You can find him at Dan Wetzel on Twitter. He is in the process of writing a series of books, sports biographies for middle schoolers. I've got them in my house. The kids are actually reading them, the two that we have in our house already. Alex Morgan, U.S. women's soccer player, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, and Serena Williams will be out soon. Uh, so uh, a plug here he didn't ask for. But the truth is, if you're like me and you got young kids and you're trying to get them to read something, uh, these are really books that uh, ideally would appeal to them. And uh, you can it's sort of like giving uh, healthy food while at the same time you're getting a benefit because it's a sports biography. So if they like sports, they're getting that. But they're also actually reading, which is important. And as if that weren't enough, Dan Wetzel is joining us right now from France. He's traveled all over the world covering sports. Uh, and we're going to get probably a little bit to what it's like to be in France. But, Dan, first of all, thanks for joining us. Uh, second. When you were growing up, did you ever think that you might one day be the most read national sports columnist in the country? Uh, no, no. I, I don't think that concept ever uh, struck me as anything. Uh, uh, I do think I recall as a kid being like intrigued that people were paid to fall around the Boston Bruins. Yes. And, uh, and report on them. I think I would have just gone and been a fan. I don't think I would have really grasped what the job was, but... Uh, yeah, no, I did not think uh, 
people would, uh, so many people would read me, let alone that I'd be like in France covering women's soccer. Although that seems that probably was con- conceptually not possible when I was young either. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. All right, so we're going to get to all of that and work your way up to how you end up at Yahoo Sports. Again, Dan Wetzel on Twitter at Dan Wetzel. But I want to start here. You mentioned growing up uh, in Massachusetts in the Boston area. Uh, what was your background? How did you uh, kind of move your way into the educational system? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Yeah, I grew up in the South Shore of Boston. Um, you know, uh, just, you know, went to I went to public school to eighth grade, went to uh, all-boys uh, Jesuit school in Boston, BC High and uh, high school, and then uh, went to the University of Massachusetts for, for college. And um, really was not looking at all at um, journalism, uh, really, until I got to UMass. And I kind of joined the student paper as like a club, like almost something to do. So um, yeah. kind of, I mean, they had an ad in the paper, and I remember being like, oh, I might be interested. I'm going to go down there and like, just trying to meet people the first week of school. So that's kind of how it started. So when you're growing up in uh, in the Boston area, were you a fan of all of the Boston area teams, the Red Sox, the the Patriots? I mean, uh, yeah. the, you mentioned the Boston Bruins. I mean, a typical, you know, depending on where you grew up, but regional regional American childhood, where you root for the teams that are local to your your hometown. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and we read. My dad always had, you know, we'd have three or four newspapers a day in the house, and so and you know there wasn't like. Wasn't that much to do back then. I mean, so it's like when the news, like the newspaper was there, you read it because it was like, you know, they'd only have sports on. This was pre ESPN. Um, but, you know, like you just didn't have like endless opportunities to watch sports. So it'd be like, well, I'll read the paper. Paper afternoon paper came. It was like something to do. So I definitely read a lot, um, but it wasn't like I was sitting there going, oh, I want to, I want to do this. So you go off to UMass. What did you think you were going to major in when you end up at UMass? Uh, I majored. I majored in political science. I think I, I thought I might be a lawyer. I don't know what I was really. I was just trying to get a degree. Um, that was kind of my main goal: was just get to college and then get a degree. Um, so I like I worked a lot and just I, you know I didn't really have a, a set plan. And then I just started. I started covering. Sports, really, again, just for something to do. It was pretty fun, um, and it kind of took off. John Calipari was at UMass at the time, and you know, not only did he get the basketball team um, to be good, he was and remains this like just a tremendous newsmaking figure. So he was always causing some kind of like story. It was always it was very very interesting and exciting. Like you know, he'd be fighting with different coaches or. You know, I was there the other day. John Cheney went after him. Um, it just was, it was, there was so much news off of this that it was like, this was really fun to cover. And I think that really was like when I was like, you know, hey, this is, this is great. Like, if I could do this, um, this is a pretty enjoyable career. And so that's, that's kind of how most of it really started. So do you remember the first story you ever wrote at UMass? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I saw. My first beat was the women's uh, cross-country team. Yeah. Uh, brutal. Okay, so you go, if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, you would know, and you probably never thought of writing a story about it, but they shoot a gun, and, and the, the, the women run into the woods, and then they come back like 20 minutes later, and they, they finish. And, and 
that's, <laughs> that's a cross country meet. Okay. So you don't so, see any of the race like, at all. You're just standing you there at the no. yeah. Nothing. You so you go. Well, what happened? Well, you know, and then it's like you get their times and you try to spell their names right. I mean, I mean, like the stories. They're just trying to do whatever, but. You know, and then the well, I, I tried to run as fast as I could. I mean, what strategy? I mean, there is strategy, but, like, you know, if you, you finish second, you go, uh, here's my question. Did you consider going faster? Like, I don't know what – I had no idea what to ask you. What, a women's cross country. People talk about, like, is it hard to write, like, a, a running gamer at the Super Bowl? Is it hard to cover the, the Olympics? No, no. Cover a, 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 a women's college cross country meet in the rain. Okay, that's hard. Okay, like cover. I covered a um, uh, uh, a girl soccer game once in high school that finished zero zero. Like, because I was freelancing for like a local paper, like a zero zero game. Okay, what do we got here? Yeah. Um, those are <laughs> those are hard to write. Something always happens at the Super Bowl. Okay, <laughs> don't worry about the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's that I do remember, um, and I just remember I uh, just trying to spell the names right. That was it. You realize like they. You know, like this thing actually gets. Pre- I know it's a campus paper, but when you're at college, like that was everything. So get get the names right. Were you a good well, student? You said you country were... women were pretty good looking too. So yeah, was, I didn't have. As that. a college kid, that I wasn't a bit. You had you had an yeah. excuse to talk to them, uh, which isn't an which isn't yeah, an awful yeah. problem. Uh, were like you a good student? Yeah, I wasn't good. Were you a good student at all when you were, uh, you know, like K through twelve and into and into UMass? I mean, were you were you thinking like, oh, I'm, a, you know, like academics is my pathway? You said you mentioned law school. Is that a sign that you were pretty good, or were you disinterested, or how would you describe yourself oh, as a student? Man. I was determined. I, I don't know if I was necessarily. Uh, there's a lot of law schools. They don't have to go to Vanderbilt, but you know, <laughs> a lot of law schools. <laughs> I uh, I was. I was, I don't know. I was pretty good. I, mean, I don't know what, I mean, I think I had like a three, five in college or something like that. I mean, so, okay. I, was, so, I was good, but not, not a genius in any way, shape or form. All right. Um, so, I so would you, work really hard to get a good grade. That was what I would do. All right. So you are covering women's cross country or cross country meets soccer <laughs> matches. When do you get to go to a game that there's a crowd there and you actually feel, oh, wow, I've got a good seat. Like, when's the first thing you covered and you thought, wow, it's really cool that I get to sit here and watch this? It was probably like a men's basketball game. Um, uh, that, you know, like a, a good UMass men's basketball game. You know, they, they were they'd, they'd play somebody good. This is during yeah, the market for people who don't game. people who don't remember, this is during the Marcus Camby-ish era, Carmelo yeah, Travieso. Like, first, first year was before Marcus, but yeah, that group – that group and Lou Rowe ranked and Lou Rowe definitely. Um, yeah. They, Edgar Padilla. Right. Am I right about that? They had Edgar, Edgar Padilla. Padilla. Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. that those UMass yeah, teams. All Puerto Rican backcourt. Yeah. Puerto, uh, uh, we had Edgar and Carmelo. Good guys. Yeah. Marcus. So yeah, some of that. And then you're like, well, this is like an actual event. And not only that, you sit there and it's like the guy next to you, like the boss of Globe. Like, you know, so you're like, wow. And then, you know, like, it was a big enough game, like, Bob Ryan would come, and you're like, wow, this is, like, serious stuff. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of fun. Uh, so you're covering Calipari, and you mentioned the, the John Chaney uh, story. And for people who don't remember when John Chaney just went off on John Calipari and was like, I'll choke you to death, I'll kill you, uh, you were sitting in that room. What was the, I mean, that had to be, like, an uh, out-of-body experience. It was awesome. Yeah, it was <laughs> absolutely bananas. So there's no social media. There's no like, 
like you had to wait and see if it came on Sports Center like later. Like now they probably like break in on it or something, or it just be all over Twitter. And but at the time it was like, did that seriously happen? And um, what what had happened was Cheney had come in and done a press conference, and he had actually like praised the team. It had been this really good game. I think they're both like in the top ten. Just really heated game. UMass won. Cheney, I always loved Cheney, still do. Um, and he, he, you know, he comes in, kind of praises them, then he leaves. But while he was doing his press conference, he heard that Calipari had like gotten into it with the officials after the game. And there's still a lot of dispute on whether that actually happened or not, but whatever. Cheney thought it did. And so then he just comes storming back in and it was like, all right, what's he doing back? And I was like, and I thought he was just going to be like, hey, good luck the rest of the way, or something like that. And he just starts going crazy. And you're like, is this, like, actually happening? Like, he's going to go track. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to kill you. And he went up there ready to fight him. And um, I, to this day, I wouldn't fight John Cheney. I mean, I, he's 80-something years old. John Cheney's going to win the fight. So uh, nobody should ever try to fight John Cheney. And so he's literally, like, could have been worse. But um, – Two UMass players kind of broke it up. Kept it took two guys to hold Cheney back. Two like twenty year old college basketball players. And, you, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I was like, this is this is just phenomenal. It's probably how I ended up becoming a sports a sports reporter. So, how many people were actually in the room when that happens? Because people may or may not. If you haven't seen it, you can go YouTube it. I'm sure it's out there. Because if it happened today, I it would be up. everywhere. Yeah, I stand up in the middle of it. I'm watching. I'm like, yeah, cub reporter on the scene. Um, it was probably like 30 people. I mean, it was, a, it was just like a interview room after. Yeah, it was probably 25, 30 people. So you game. can see like, yourself, was, though, in the video if you go back and watch it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's on. They'll replay it like on ESPN every once in a while, like, you know, 10 best coaching meltdowns or something. <laughs> and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll be on there. So did you? So you're covering then as a as a student reporter. Um, have you had any interaction? Like, does J- John Calipari remember you from having covered him when you were writing for the UMass student newspaper? Now that both of you have gone on to obviously uh, different d- directions. I mean, he's obviously had a lot of success at at Kentucky, and you're a national columnist at Yahoo. Do you think he's aware that you covered him that far back? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we never were. I got a touch. So yeah, he knows. He knows. Uh, uh, Okay, I don't don't talk to him very often now, but I could. So you you cover uh, UMass. You graduate from college. Yeah, UMass back then, like this wasn't like Kentucky basketball. There's only like five or six people covering the team. So it was fortunate for you. Do you you think you would have been a sports reporter? Do you think you would have been a sports writer if UMass had been what UMass has been for most of their career? You know, like a a mid range at best, a ten caliber basketball program do you think that them being good made you think hey this is something that i want to do in a way that you wouldn't have if they had been thoroughly mediocre very well may not have very well may not have i I, it's hard to say but it wouldn't have been as fun it wouldn't have been as big so probably wouldn't have excited me as much and i wouldn't have seen that there was like an opportunity there uh i might have gotten into journalism anyway but i actually when i first got out of school we'll get to that i guess but I also liked covering like crime and news and stuff, so I might have ended up going more that route, but I, I probably not because my real first real job was covering college basketball, and so a lot of it was 
connections I made while I was a college student covering yep. UMass because there was such a big story. All these people came through to write about them and, and TV people and everything. All right, so you graduate from college. Uh, you've been able to cover John Calipari and UMass as they made uh, the, the most successful basketball run in you know the last, what, 40 years of UMass athletics, I would imagine. And then you graduate from college, and what happens? How do you get a job in the world of sports? Well, I go and work actually covering uh, news. I covered crime for a summer at the Indianapolis News, Indiana. There was a recession in like the Northeast at that time, so there really wasn't any jobs. Um, I was out there for that. I was covering, you know, whatever house fires. I covered a murder trial. Like it was great, um, and I really liked doing all that. And, and you would have been you would this would have been like what year? Like what year do you start your career in Indianapolis? I guess maybe ninety six or ninety five, something like that. Okay, so the internet like summer intern. You're a summer intern. The internet is just starting to kind of percolate, right? Do you remember the first time you got on the internet? I don't really, but it was, yeah, the internet was, I actually wrote sports <laughs> for the original American online. If you, the old dial-up, and they had this little, they had these little tabs, and I, I got to know the guy who, who was in charge of the sports tab on America online, and I would write like once or twice a week, like a story or a column about sports on there. And I can only imagine how many people read that thing. What like, did you get? Probably what, was astronomical. What did you get paid for that? Oh, I couldn't like maybe fifty bucks. So that, but but you for people out there who don't <laughs> remember, you used to have to get on the internet. America Online would send out Dial all up. these, yeah, all these uh, discs. You'd plug them in. And then your phone line, it would get, get like a whirring sound, you know, like and, and for I'm taking people back in time who are old enough to remember this. And the younger people who are listening are like, what in the hell are you guys talking about? And then it would pop up like, you know, you'd get that that connection and there would be a sports You got app. mail. Yeah, you, you got mail, yeah, which is always go, a great you feeling. You got mail. Yeah. And then there was like a news tab. There was like a sports tab and maybe like a weather or something. And I wrote on the sports tab. It was America. It was AOL Sports. And I wasn't getting paid much, but, I mean, literally the entire world, the only way to get on the Internet was through that page Yeah, at that time. And so I I, I can only imagine there were probably, like, you literally would write something and, I don't even know, 20 million people would read it, I bet. I mean, it might well be true because it's the best. I mean, it's like the Netflix homepage now, and we'll talk about the Yahoo homepage and its impact, I mean, which is obviously still massive. So you're writing in Indianapolis, uh, and how long does that gig go on? You're covering house fires, you're covering like uh, murder months. trial? Yeah. F- four months, and then yeah. what happens? Then I went to Chicago's Tribune for like four months. Same thing, like just news, all sorts of just like shootings and whatever the hell is going Chicago's a great new city. Some, just total mayhem every day. Every day. Just so did you send out off a Did you send out like the clips from your UMass uh, articles? How did you get those jobs? Yeah, you had to apply, you had to get a clip pack, you had to you had to send a lot of uh a lot of uh you sent a lot of them out there. That was so, kind of the problem. So the process of getting no a job way. was hard. Like uh, you you would have to work yeah. your ass off to get a gig in any way. You sent a hundred packets. I mean, you just had to because you didn't know who had a job, and if anyone would read them, and you and you had to print them, you had to change the cover page, you had to fill out the address, you had to find the right person to send it to, 
Like, it, you couldn't just email out or go on, like, ZipRecruiter or anything. Like, it just was finding a job was a pain in the neck back then. So you get that, and then you move to Chicago, and then what happens? All right, so then, so I really like covering news, but then this uh, magazine, uh, this guy Larry Donald, who, who owned a, a magazine called Basketball Times Magazine, and I had met him from UMass. He, he lived in Detroit, and it was like a ma- he, he would just write about college basketball. He could write these long stories. There's a lot of freedom as a writer. And my Chicago Tribune thing was ending. And I got offered, like, a job covering news in, like, the, I'm not even from the Midwest. So, like, Chicago is great. Indianapolis is good. Chicago is great. And then I got this job offer, like, covering this small town outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I was just like, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm just not a farmer. <laughs> like, this isn't my thing. And then I had this opportunity to go work for Basketball Times. And so it was a much smaller publication, but you write and report and pretty much do whatever you wanted. So I took that job, and it was in Detroit, which is, you know, I wanted, I was just wanted, well, I always wanted to be in a big city. That's just me. Um, so I took that job. And then at Basketball Times, I just had this great uh, freedom to, like, learn how to write. And that was probably the the best thing that, especially at that age, I didn't need a lot of money. I didn't really need the prestige. Like I would be at Chicago Tribune and like, there'd be a murder. Like you get out in there early and there'd be like something on us. Like we had these like police scanners, all this stuff. But, all right. Uh, homicide, you know, like South side Chicago down there. You interview all these people. This kid got killed, whatever. And you go and it's like, ah, it's just a brief. Like you'd have all this stuff to write a story and it'd be like four paragraphs. And it was just like, you. so you were working at a big place, but you weren't really doing, like, impactful work. And so the opportunity to, like, just try this was what really appealed to me at basketball times. And then I was just able to kind of do whatever. That was my big break. What would they pay you? Because a lot of people wonder about the, getting your foot in the door. Do you remember what your early salaries were in those jobs? I think at basketball times it was paid $22,500. I'll tell you a funny story, though, um, which was not much money <laughs> then or now, but I, it was enough that I could, like, live. That was it. I mean, I was 23 years old or something, so you don't really need much. And I really encourage people when they're younger, don't worry about money. Yeah. Plenty of time to worry about money. The money will find you if you if – you, if this is the time to not care, right? You get a roommate, you, you drink cheap beer, you live in a like, – it doesn't matter. But I do remember, I actually also had this job interview I went to at the uh, Valparaiso, uh, I think it was called like the Vidat Messengers, this newspaper in Valparaiso, Indiana, you know, Valparaiso University. So I go into this interview, I think I was in Indianapolis then, it was a sports job, and I'm in the, in the uh, thing, and the guy goes, all right, uh, we want to hire you, um, we can offer you $15,000 a year, is what he offered me, $15,000, okay, that's like less than like, like seven dollars an hour. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I used to work construction. I make more. I'm like, I, I was just like, and I must have been so stunned. And according to this town was so cheap, I probably could have lived there for fifteen thousand dollars. But I was just like, I, I got a college degree. I'm gonna work for fifteen thousand dollars. So I was like, I can't take that job. You got to pay me more than that. Like, and I think I just said it so boldly. He's like, Oh, okay. So the computer gets up and he walks all the way across the newsroom, like into the publisher's office. He's like, Let me go check. 
So I'm like, oh, man, look at this. Negotiating? Like, I am styling, right? I'm, just, I'm killing this, right? And so he comes back. I swear, swear the story's true. Comes back, sits down, he goes, all right, we can give you $15,100. <laughs> Two bucks a week. Two bucks a week. I was like, what? Uh, so I didn't go there, but um, I could have. But actually, I would have been better off there than like even stayed in Chicago because you, if you're a writer, you want to write. You have to learn how to write, and you have to learn how to report. You have to learn all of this. You have to. You just the guys that never do all that stuff, man. It's it's a tough. It's tough. Like I just, you can be really good without going through some of those grinds and cover trying to find out how to make a women's uh, cross country meet. Interesting, but man, that's a good skill to have. You know, like to just to just jump to where it's easy. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm glad I went that route. So, be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this: there's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. We're talking to Dan Wetzel. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. I'm Clay Travis. Uh, okay, so 22-5, you're living in Detroit. Uh, what yeah. do you? What, you're writing for the Basketball Times. What do you do? Like, what, what, what is your job there, and how long do you stay there? Um, yeah, so I'm writing like feature articles, just all sorts of different stuff, but it was just opening up all sorts of like opportunities. You do a lot of radio, you do TV, because you're just like a guest, or you're meeting all these people. So like 
one of the stories that did at Basketball Times was on um, uh, Don Haskins and, and, uh, and UTEP. He's the head coach at UTEP, which used to be Texas Western, which in 1966 was the first uh, all-black starting lineup uh, when they were Texas Western. So I did this long story on Don Haskins, got to know him as a friend, and, like, not immediately, but it takes time, but that eventually led to the book Glory Road, and it was a Disney movie, Glory Road. Um, so there was, like, opportunities. I did um, – I covered a ton of AAU basketball. I covered all these guys in the NBA when they were, like, 16, 17 years old. We would do all the recruiting. But instead of just doing recruiting, like, where are you going to school, what's your top five, you know, where are you going to visit, I, ca- I just got to know all the figures in it. And I ended up doing the book uh, – I wrote a book with um, – with Don Yeager, who was at Sports Illustrated then, called um, Soul Influence, all about how shoe companies had, were dumping all this money into AAU basketball, and it's like completely corrupt and bananas. And um, so I was doing, it, it was just leading to all these other things because you had the opportunity to do these stories. So that was kind of the real benefit of basketball times. I think I was there until about 1999 or 2000, maybe. Something like that. But you just had so much freedom. Larry Donald was just a great editor. Um, and just was like, you know, go go fail. Go fail and try things. And that, that's why that, that job was so good for me. So you're in Detroit at the time living as your base. Are you traveling a lot to write these stories? Yeah. Like once a month we go, I go somewhere in college sports or, or like the AAU circuit maybe. Maybe like once one weekend a month or, you know, a few days here or there. It was a shoestring budget, but we, we'd make it work. So the Internet's also starting to grow. Like these are some of the early kind of, you know, mm. launch points of the Internet. Are you still writing for that AOL front page sports articles? I did that for a while. I don't know quite how that ended. I don't really remember anymore. Um, I also, yeah, I was freelancing for, for all sorts of different places. Um I mean, any I would write from, you know, like all those like Athlon book, ever anything, and do I do, would do a lot of internet. I was a huge believer in the internet. Um, I I was freelancing for um, this website, or even kind of worked for him for, for a little while called HoopsTV.com, which is basically the N1 mixtape. Yeah, they created this basketball website where we basically could watch video of basketball on the internet. If the problem was everyone had dial up and no one could see our videos. Yeah. No, it's true, because for people who don't remember, it was almost impossible to watch a video on the internet. Even to load pictures would take forever, So uh, because everybody's working on the slow speeds of the dial-up internet. So you're aware of the rise of the internet. Same time, you're not making that much money. I think you also started to moonlight in a, in a casino, right? Well, I was going to get married, so at this point, I'm, you know, like, kind of like 26 or something. I, I'm not making much money. I've written these i written uh, Soul Influence, but I needed, like, something steady. And so they were opening casinos in Detroit. So I, I uh, was like, well, if I get this, if I get a job at a casino, like, it's very, I needed a job that I didn't have to take, like, the work home. Yeah. And I didn't want to go back to work construction or something. That's exhausting. Like, not the casino dealing. It can't be exhausting. But I just needed something, like, Flexible hour, all this different stuff. So I went to the, I went to, um, as the, the final part of the story, it was called Greek Town Casino College. They were trying, trying to train the dealers and they literally called it the Greek Town Casino College. 
they converted like part of a, a parking garage in downtown Detroit where we would go and learn how to deal. The, uh, the, you know how Pepperdine wins most scenic campus? Yes, 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 yes. This is the opposite of that. <laughs> we should have been ranked last. Um, yeah, I majored in craps and uh, blackjack, double major. Um, craps is harder than we can laugh, but craps is harder than it looks. Um, and yeah, I was uh, I was I was a certified dealer. My my casino didn't open though. I never actually worked in the casino. I did deal some other games and some parties and stuff, but uh, the casino had some kind of like ownership shiesty owner, so they delayed our ownership. And then and then by then. Uh, I got a full time job at CBS Sports Line. Well, so I want to get to I never actually worked. I want to get to that in a minute. But how long did you train to be a craps and uh, and blackjack dealer? I don't know. I think it might have been like it might take like six weeks, maybe eight weeks. I don't know. It's a quick, quick college. Not 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 a not not too long. But um, I mean, it but takes I mean, longer than you think, though. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, there, there's a lot of money. You got to guard the money. Yeah. Yeah, they come and try to trick you, all the guys. Like, you have to guard your money. You can't be wrong. Um, yeah, blackjack, not that tricky. But craps is wild, man. Like, you get enough people on there, and they would, you know, we, we would do it, we would play, and then while someone was trying to, to deal, and then, like, of course, we're just constantly trying to screw with everybody because that was what we were supposed to do. So it's like throwing bets in late or throwing, like, the worst possible odd bets, like, just, you know, bet three coin, you know, three bucks on something like you know, the odds are all messed up or they're trying to steal money. So, yeah, it's harder than it looks. You said you also work construction, but, you know, when you were younger, what kind of construction work did you do? Uh, we did like laying like sewage lines and we were built a uh, couple office parks, things like that. I'd like help like we put in the sidewalks um i worked for the just the the owner of it so we would do just about eight but a lot of road work a lot of a lot of jackhammering a lot of digging ditches i mean nothing you know as a, as a high school and college kid so I but i mean you can literally that. tell your kids now like you worked as a dig ditcher i did i did dig ditches yeah yeah Chop um, firewood i had all sorts of bad jobs i could run a backhoe I mean, have a license, but I could do it. Yeah, I mean, there's not very many probably sports writers who can run a backhoe and also uh, work no, a craps. I, don't, I probably couldn't. <laughs> and I work. probably could not run the backhoe now. I would probably screw it up. But at one point, I could dig a hole with a backhoe. So you are preparing like for whatever you need to do to have a consistent job, and then you've been talking about how you have like kind of your you're paying attention to the rise of the internet. How do you end up working at CBS Sportsline, which I think was cbs.sportsline.com, if I'm not mistaken, at the time? It was, yeah, or even just sportsline.com. Yeah, I think you might be so right. Here's yeah. one of the problems was I was like, so I was trying to get like a job in a newspaper, but newspapers were different than like, first off, you could never tell a newspaper editor you worked like uh, working a moonlighting as a crafts dealer. Like that would have killed you. Um, they wanted like, Everyone to go to Northwestern and like Columbia and like you had to, if you didn't have like all the right connections, it was hard to break in. And I, by working at a like basketball times and I, when I worked at Chicago Tribune, I could get all, like everyone was interested in hiring me. But once I left, they weren't interested in hiring me anymore. And you had to like just 
you just couldn't tell people like all that stuff was secret. I didn't tell people for years that I was like I went to casino college. Um, now I just don't care. They can't do anything to me now. There's no newspaper editors left. But at the time, it was all like <laughs> I mean, there was a, they were so gatekeepers. Were, they were gatekeepers to the access to yeah. I, oh, I was on the wrong side of the gate, man. I <laughs> I could not get through the gate. I couldn't get anything. So I was scrapping around for internet and stuff like that. But one thing is I was. I knew how I, I knew how powerful the internet could be, and all I wanted was like a good internet job. And I, to to the credit of uh, this guy Steve Miller, Mark Swanson, uh, and the late Craig Stanky was his name um, down at Sportsline. They did not care where I worked. They just wanted me. They were like, this guy hustles, and he has tons of connections in like college and AAU basketball. Like I had every, I knew every college basketball assistant in the country. I knew every head coach pretty much. I knew all the different people, and that they saw the value in that, so they hired me to be the national college basketball writer at Sportsline. And they didn't really care about all the, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the right this, that, or the other thing. And that, that was the big break, or else I probably would not be doing this at all because I was like 28 years old, and it's like at some point you're like, all right, I mean, this is sports writing. If I can't. Can't make this work by now. Like, how long do you go? Like, this is not. I'm not like this isn't like I'm about to start my residency as a doctor. Like, it's sports writing. I should be. I should be able to make this work now. If I'm not, I got to get something else. It's interesting you mentioned that because, to the credit of at least two of those three guys, they got me started writing uh, when I had no pedigree whatsoever either. I was writing on my own site, and I wasn't even getting paid. They were just running my articles uh, back in like 2005 ish. So. We'll circle back around to that in a minute. But I do think it's an interesting uh, point for people out there listening because this podcast is called Wins and Losses. You kind of saw an advantage because one reason you had an opportunity on the internet and why I had an opportunity on the internet is because we didn't have that pedigree because if we had had that pedigree, we probably would have gone to newspapers and they would have hired us. The newspaper guys didn't want to go to the internet yet, right? Like they were like, "Oh, this internet right. thing's a fad. You don't get paid as much money. I'm not sure how it's going to work out. It's not as prestigious to be writing on some random website." Like I even remember when I was writing at Fanhouse, guys sitting around saying, "Like, what's our circulation?" Like asking the editors, and they're like, "Well, I don't know. I mean, the whole internet, you know, like is yeah, anybody can go right. anywhere." But you had these ideas, you had these different fiefdoms, so to speak, in newspapers back in the day. And this is going to sound antiquated to a lot of our listeners, but. You know, we kind of are on the tail edge of this where you and I can remember waking up early enough. Uh, you know, you check a newspaper to see who won a game, right? Um, and right. now that's like crazy to my check kids. Check it for the weather. Yeah, yeah, check for the weather. The movie times. Like, yeah, movie what, times. What's playing at the movie theater, stuff like that. Lose your access to all information. Yeah, and so. You buy the paper to see what's playing. You had all these different islands of dominance. So, and the the, the size of the newspaper was in large mar, large part a uh, a function of the marketplace itself of the city. So, like you mentioned, the Chicago Tribune, but you also had these newspapers competing in the markets. And there was pretty good salaries to be made back in the day, right? If you were working in the nineteen eighties, sure. you could make a good living in the newspaper business. Well, I think you always could. I mean. It- and even if you still have a job in the newspaper industry, you probably—I mean, they just aren't as many jobs, unfortunately. Right. There used to be. But, but yeah, all the way up through a ton of money. All the way up through the yeah. '90s, things are going well, especially if you're a good uh, columnist everywhere else. So you get the job at CBS Sports or Sportsline.com or whatever it's called, 
and you're in your late 20s. And I remember reading this when I was in college. I remember reading your column because there still wasn't that many people out there writing regular uh, regular pieces on the internet, right? I mean, it just wasn't that competitive. I remember you, Andy Katz, like who did you compete with that was writing about college basketball back in that day? Because I was at George Washington University and we were pretty decent in college basketball and I always wanted yeah. to see the top 25 every week and like – uh, I think they hired Dennis Dodd pretty early at Sportsline. I mean, he's obviously been there forever. But, like, who did you consider your competitors on the Internet at that point in time? Do you remember? Dennis, Dennis was at at, uh, at Sportsline, and he did mainly college football. Andy, yep. It was basically Andy Katz and I Yeah, um, was about it. And, and then there were all these newspaper guys. But the thing that Andy and I, and Andy had been at the Fresno Bee, but as we talked about it, we still do, like – we were like, okay, this thing can – here's the thing. Every coach in the country can read this. Yeah. Right? Like someone – now, they may have had to print it out, okay? Like I don't think because Dean Smith or somebody, whoever was – you know, these guys were on the internet, Eddie Sutton. But it, it went to every – it went everywhere. It was amazing, right? You could read it anywhere. They had to – you didn't have mobile then, but the, – the, the, and, and you could write as long as you wanted, and you could write as much as you wanted. So there was none of this, like – well, you can't fit it in. Like, if you weren't working for, you know, the, the Chicago Tribune and some incident happens at UCLA or whatever, you maybe it has to be really big to make it. We just write about everything. She just write, 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 which is, of course, how the Internet works. But back then it was like, gosh, how many stories are you writing? What do you, you know, like, but I didn't care because I was just like, this is an unbelievable opportunity to get known. And, and then really quickly you could call anybody and they call you back. And so yeah. then you had the access to it to the coaches and then the players and everybody, you know, it just, it just blew up really quick. And, and so I don't, I don't think I knew my traffic numbers back then, but I'm sure they were very good. But inside college basketball, where I was writing and, and college administrators, they all knew, everybody knew who you were. And so, but you'd still go to like the NCAA basketball tournament and they'd be like, well, we don't have a sheet for you because your circulation isn't like they were so hung up on the old school. Like you couldn't get into some places. And you'd be like, this is absurd. Like, I remember there was a conference that I think it was called like the Midwest Collegiate Conference. It's now, it kind of became the Horizon League. Like, there was like a lot of those, like, like Butler back in the day might have been in it or something like that. And I remember trying to go to the conference basketball tournament. They wouldn't give me a seat because I didn't have a print publication along with the internet site. And I was like, are you, are you crazy? And so it was like, that. it was so, you were fighting like, that, but then I could call any coach in the league, and they'd call back in 10 minutes. So it was just, there was just this huge disconnect. So the internet was just fantastic. Everyone was reading it, and, and obviously they still do, but it, it was just like this whole wide-open thing. And, and it, like you said, like if this had gone to a full competition on who the best person was at the time, I probably wouldn't have gotten a job. Uh, so my advantage was I was writing like 100 stories a week. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission.
Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. You would grind, but also, and we're talking to Dan Wetzel, I'm Clay Travis, this is the Wins and Losses podcast. You recognize something that I think a lot of people didn't, which is, in the past, and it still occurs, right? Like the local newspaper, people are obsessed with what somebody in that local newspaper market writes. But a lot of times, and you know this from from your experience, you can end up in a situation where there's not that much interesting to write about in the local news market. But if you're writing about college basketball, there's pretty much always something that's popping on a national level. And those guys also who are reading you, both the coaches and the administrators and everybody else, are curious about things outside of their own world. And so you had almost, you and Andy Katz, a monopoly on the entirety of national college basketball coverage from a writing perspective, which theoretically a lot of other people could have seen, but they didn't because they were maybe worried about trying to protect what they already had. Yeah, it's probably some of that. And then some of it would have been like, you know, you you were going to, I don't remember when I got paid. I was certainly getting paid much better at that point, but it wasn't like huge money. So it was like, those are good jobs, but yeah, people didn't want to take a pay cut or, I don't know, it's very comfortable work. Those newspapers have been around like 100 years, right? Yeah. So, you know, those were like good, comfortable jobs. But, yeah, the, the ability to have an impact was much, much greater on the Internet. Just now, much, much greater. Now, I want to go to the, the credentialing thing because I think it also establishes the paradigm shift. And I, and I remember dealing with this a lot uh, writing online is they all of these schools – panicked when the internet started and they're like oh my god we're gonna have everybody who has a wet email address is going to be arguing they're a member of the media and so uh they will credential all these tiny newspapers these little tiny community newspapers with no issues whatsoever because quote unquote they are a print publication but if you were on the internet you weren't allowed to be uh to be credentialed and I remember like all sorts of craziness, like for instance, and I'll get to Yahoo, how you ended up there in a sec, but Yahoo is a big deal, right? Like a massive, massive website. And the way they would credential Yahoo was 
or like CBS Sportsline, I remember. Like CBS Sportsline did a uh, a print publication one year for like a college basketball or college football magazine, right? And right. and it's kind of a funny thing to think about anyway, but I guess it was an advertising point for them. And they would credential the CBS Sportsline sometimes because of that print magazine because they were already yeah. letting in Athlon and Lindy's and all the other people who do the you know yearly print publication. But that was crazy, right? You fought those battles for years. Oh, it was unbelievable. And trying to explain what you are arguing. Um, I, mean, I could tell you a million stories. The hardest one was baseball, MLB. When I got to Yahoo, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but holy cow, because they were so old school. And they'd always say, well, are you in the Baseball Writers Association? Okay, so you're in this Baseball Writers Association. I'm like, no. Well, I go, how do you get in that? Like, well, you have to cover 150 games. I'd be like, well, I'm the only guy at the website. Like, I can't <laughs> cover up. I just want to cover the World Series, right? Like, the NFL, the NBA don't sit there and go, well, were you at the Sacramento Kings uh, Timberwolves game back in February? Yeah. Like, yeah, NBA Final Club. Right? We want attention. MLB. So I, one time I was at spring training, and I'm going to spare this guy the, the name because he really isn't a bad guy. But this one guy at the at the Mets says to me, you know, I, you guys, here's what needs to happen. Now, at this time, Yahoo's probably had a had a uh, was worth about fifty billion dollars. Okay, because you, I mean, Yahoo used to see this massive thing. And he goes, you guys need like the sporting news to buy you, so you have a print publication. And I go. How about we buy the Mets? <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, a fifty billion dollar market cap. Sporting news is worth like fifteen million dollars, and he's thinking. I mean, it does kind of speak to the the difficulty that people had understanding the internet. That he's like, oh, Sporting News should buy Yahoo. Yahoo could buy every major league baseball team. That's what we could have done. Could have bought them all if they were for sale. <laughs> you know, like we're worth more than the league. But yeah. I was like, okay, I don't even know. I'm like, I'm not talking to a rational human being at this point. Like, they're just, we're not speaking the same language. He's like, all right, I guess I'm not going to the spring training at the Mets. Uh, baseball was the absolute worst, and I hated covering baseball. And once I didn't have to, I never covered it again. So you literally you're, hated everyone in baseball. You're at CBS. So, How many years <laughs> do you write uh, covering college basketball? I think it was like three. And, and they're. Uh, and then what happens? Right. Yeah, and then what happens? So then, so a guy I knew from college, Sam Silverstein, calls me. He just became the sports editor of Yahoo Sports, which at the time was like fan, they had a fantasy game, but like they were just being like, we need to get an original content. And he's like, you should come work here. And I was like, now at this point, like Yahoo was a, I didn't even know if it had a, maybe had a fantasy game. Probably a fantasy game, but it was a search engine. Like, yep. It was a search engine. That's all it was, email and search. But they would put five headlines on the old Yahoo front page. And he's like, dude, like these stories are incredible. We're going to do this thing. And I was like, I don't know. I was just like, you know what? This is like, this could be really big, right? Like this, this is like a startup, but it's got 50 billion, it's a $50 billion startup that makes tons of print. Like, and he, we're like, no one's even going to know whether we're not doing a good job. Like, we had time to try to, like, build this thing out. And so I switched from CBS Sports to Yahoo, and everyone was like, you're crazy. I mean, people were like, Are you, like that's a search engine, and that's why I could never – people understood, like, the CBS Sports thing eventually, but the idea that the search engine wanted a media pass, forget it. Um, 
but I I did that, and then we had, we had to like restart all the fights. But the the traffic and the amount of people and the, all the all the assets we had were just incredible, and the opportunity to like let's create a website. So were you the first Yahoo? I mean, they might have had fantasy sports employees, but were you the first? I was the first sports writer, and probably I was the first like journalist writer at all the whole place. Like no, they didn't have news was just like an AP feed. They had nothing. So like what year would guinea pig? What year would this have been? This is like two thousand three. All right, so two thousand three. Two thousand three. Do you ask anybody to talk? Because two thousand three, it's still at the re- really early days of the internet, right? There aren't. Uh, you said people right. thought you were crazy. Did you almost inherently just trust your instinct on that move, or was there somebody you talked to other than the guy who called you and said, "Hey, you know, we got huge site traffic here. We want to make a go of it." What made you you think willing to take that risk that other people weren't? I remember talking to uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, who was working then at like the Bergen Record in New Jersey, and is a longtime friend of mine. Um, long before the Woj bombs. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and I remember he thought he's a very smart guy. And I remember he thought it was a pretty good idea. And that really helped. There's another guy, Dave Scott, a longtime friend of mine, works at ESPN. He thought it was a good idea. And I knew, I just felt like, you know what? What the heck? Let's try this. Um, I kind of felt like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, I don't know. I just, it, to me, it was like, there's so much potential here. And I was kind of, the other thing in 2003 was like, I was covering college basketball, but at that point, before the one and done, like the last year I was there was LeBron's senior year of high school. I was like, spent more time covering high school, LeBron. Like nobody was going to college, none of the players. And so college basketball was like lame. Still had a lot of fans, but it was like just wasn't as interesting. Like, believe me, when they get rid of the one and done, college basketball is not going to be remotely as big of a deal as now. It's really not that big of a deal now. So I wanted to like, I thought like, well, if I can cover the NFL and I can cover baseball and NBA and we were going to do Olympics, we had all these plans. I was like, that would be a good opportunity for me to get out of just being a college basketball writer. So that was part of it too, because I kind of thought college basketball is in trouble, and like. Like back in the day, there used to be like a, there used to be great like tennis writers. Well, there's no job to be a tennis writer. So if you want to be a sports writer in America, you better cover football, <laughs> or or the or the NBA. Like it's a couple baseball guys, but like Eris isn't. So that was a big part of it too. Was like I'm going to be able to spread out and do different things if if this doesn't work at Yahoo. But I really felt like if it did it right, it would work. And Sam. Um, a super, really smart guy and a really good guy. He's at the Pac-12 now. And um, we just kind of were like, I think we can make this work. And so I was like, what the heck, right? So 16 years you've been at Yahoo Sports now. And for people out there who think back at what Yahoo was like back in the day, I mean, the amount of site traffic that Yahoo.com would do and that MSN.com and AOL.com, and they still do, even though – those three sites are not as popular now as they were back then. I mean, they were insanely popular, but you're talking about Yahoo in a pre-Google universe, right? Like, I mean, I don't even think Google had been founded yet, hardly, or is only a couple of years old. Um, so you go to Yahoo. What is your first, like, how do you even get started? You just start pitching ideas on stories? Like, what is that process like? Well, for, 
yeah, we were like, you'd start writing store. Like, we had to set up everything. I and mean, we had to set up a news desk, like a, some editor. Like, it was just a lot of planning. And then we're trying to find people to let you go cover things because that would give credibility. But then you could just, you know, like anything, like, uh, you know, NBA free agency or whatever, like whatever's going down. I remember the U.S. Open tennis. I covered that. It was like one of the first things was like, yeah, well, you can come cover, cover our tennis tournament in New York. Um, it was a lot of like meeting and like we just we had to plot out what we were going to do. I mean, it was it was it was a total startup. We had, but we had the opportunity to do anything. So it was like, what kind of site do we want to be? How much journalism do we want to do? Um, you know, eventually it was like, what positions would we add? But that took a while. Uh, Sam was a really, really smart guy. And he was like, we're going to cover the Olympics. Okay, and I seemed rather bold. We had one guy. <laughs> and so he's like, we're going, you're going to the 2004 Olympics. And he's like, the thing is, uh, it would spark all, like all the people at Sunny out in California, would be excited about the Olympics. And if we're covering the Olympics, it would like make an impact internally. And then if we do a good job, that will create like internal investment because like Yahoo had all the money, so it could do anything it wanted. We just needed more, so we're going to be better like putting our eggs in that. So. That was a big one internally because when we did a good job at the, at the Athens Olympics um, and we would get some of our stories on the front page and we are kind of building up the, the sports page, uh, that, that, that was kind of the cap of the first year. And then, they're, and then like, I think internally they're like, yeah, you can hire like a couple more people or why don't you try that? It, it grew a lot of things. And it was very smart because I had never thought conceptually, I, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse to think like internal PR. Right, like how how are you being seen inside your company? Because a big company can can put their resources wherever. So that was kind of a, a an interesting lesson that we still try to do. So you're at the uh, Athens Olympics. It's 2004. You're representing Yahoo Sports. Yeah. You're basically the only employee. How in the world do you decide what to cover? <laughs> I try to cover everything. <laughs> Right, but I mean, for people out there who are listening, I, I think they have this idea, and I want to get into this you a little bit more, but the, the, when, when the story is packaged for you and you go and you read it, you think to yourself, oh, of course they went to go cover this. But effectively, when you arrive at the Olympics, it's like you're given a huge menu. You're one random dude in Greece, and you got to figure out, oh my God, what are the stories here? What am I going to do on a day-to-day basis? It's not like there's some – you're not NBC, right, who's putting on the Olympics that has a 1,000 people there and they all sit around a table and they're like, oh, well, we know we're going to cover gymnastics and then we're going to do this. And then we're gonna, I mean, like they have everything mapped out you know, a year in advance. I mean, I know Fox, for instance, has the Super Bowl this year coming up and they're already you – know, they've already hired hundreds of people. they got their cameras and their sets already scheduled. I mean, you're a random dude just going over to Greece and you're like, yeah, I'm writing for this website that nobody knows. How do you decide how to – cover the olympics well yeah you just try to pick your spots you know and then if you it don't, even if you're not like if something big happened and you're not actually in the arena you just write about it anyway but yeah it would be like there's a track meet a gymnastics meet a swim meet there's a basketball game there's this you know you just you're just trying to guess on what the best story is going to be also like what can you do that you're going to differentiate like, that was kind of the big thing. Like, it's like value over replacement player, you know, like in in, in, uh, in baseball. Like, 
what what can you do that will stand out and make it worth you being there? So sometimes it, it's not just being at the at the big event; it's it's being at the right place uh, or where the best story is or something like that. That was something I learned in, in the magazine business. So it's like it's just going to the biggest games doesn't always mean you're in the right spot. It's it's a lot easier to make an impact when no other not many reporters are around than like being at the Super Bowl. Like I love being at the Super Bowl because the challenge of competing against all the other writers, but like there's 2,000 people there, you know. So it's it's to to differentiate yourself is a real challenge. So sometimes you're better off at something else. Um, but I don't know, man. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. I was not a very good columnist back back then. I would try to read all the other guys and basically get my brains beaten in every day. But you know, whatever we're trying. So I definitely like. Never went to like the all the touristy spots. Everyone was like, "Did you go to?" I don't even know what all the stuff is in Greece, but I was like, "No, <laughs> I didn't go to anything." I literally went to nothing. I ate out once. It worked. I was just like, so we were panicked. We're like, we gotta make, we better make this work. We went all the way to Greece. You mentioned that you didn't think you were very good, um, you know, initially on the columnist business, and 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 I probably should have asked this question earlier. I don't. Th- I think there's a lot of people out there listening to us right now that don't even spend that much time on the distinction between news and opinion, right? And so much of it has gotten right. mixed up today that it's sometimes hard, and you sometimes get confused. Even if you're just a regular person, you're reading. You're like, wait a minute, is this a news article or is this somebody's opinion about the news? And I feel like there used to be a more substantial di- difference. But you are hired to be in the opinion business, right? When you go to work right. at Yahoo. But also when you're at the Olympics, you're also kind of in the news business because if a big news story breaks out, that's something that people want to read about too. How did you straddle that line and how complicated was it? And were you thinking in your mind, is this a news part piece or is this an opinion piece? Because I would imagine early on when you're at Yahoo, you kind of have to fill every different aspect of the news, right? Whether it's an opinion piece or just a straight, you know, like something happened here and it's a news story. Well, I would try to write an opinion piece, but I would probably just not trust my opinion, so yeah. I would make it too newsy. So how right? do you come then, to, yeah? So how do you come to trust your opinion? How did you work through that to get more comfortable? Because I think you're the best national opinion writing uh, writer in the business of sports now. But how did you find that voice, and and how did you work your way into it? Yeah, well, thank you. But I, yeah, doing it and then reading the other people. So like, you know, you'd be there and. Like Bill Plasky is a phenomenal, phenomenal sports columnist from the LA Times, and you know you'd be at the same thing, and you just you'd read his the next day, and you'd, and you'd be like, "I got my ass kicked." I mean, like, why do I suck? Right? <laughs> this was a disaster. Right? Right? And I was like, "Why?" I didn't even think of this. Like, I didn't trust it, or I, I, I can't even remember. But Ian O'Connor, Woj, Mike Vaccaro. I mean, just everybody. I mean, that was when. Uh, uh, Kornheiser and Wilbon were writing. I mean, it, 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 Bob Ryan, like all these guys that are kind of all on TV now, older guys, those guys just slaughter you. And uh, Dan Lebetard, holy cow, good Lebetard write a column. Um, just phenomenal. And, and they just bang, like in an hour, they just kill you. And you're just like, wow, my column is not anywhere as good as this. So you just, you know what, like, it's like anything, you just got to keep doing it. You know, what's that, like 10,000 hour, you know, yeah. Gladwell. You just, I mean, there's just no, you just got to keep going. So, yeah, it was a little rough some of those days. But, but you know, there's so many swings at, at the Olympics or anywhere, anything you're trying to do. And you slowly kind of, I don't know, you just trust yourself a little bit and you, you kind of just 
figure out like what's truly interesting. I mean, I have some different tricks I come up with. I always, always try to say, um, you know, like if, if, if I'm driving home from the assignment, wherever I'm at and somebody calls me, my wife calls or friend goes, and they go, what happened at, 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 at the game tonight or the events or whatever, what'd you do today? And like, if the first thing I say isn't the column, then I didn't write the right column. Cause sometimes you, you know, I don't know. You just be like, wow, you wouldn't have believed uh, what, you know, Kobe Bryant said after, but then you, know, you ended up writing about like some inbound players. I mean, you know, like what, what you do, but you see that a lot in sports writing or the other thing that really helped me, I actually did a lot of talk radio. I had a talk radio show briefly in Detroit and that helped a lot. Talk, everyone makes fun of talk radio, but you have to be on topic. Yep. And you have to figure out a topic that the listener wants to listen to or they aren't listening. Like, they are hitting that button in one second, and that's a big – talk radio was a big training ground, too, because if you're on a bad – there's nothing worse than a segment on talk radio with a bad topic. You, just, you can just feel all the people clicking away. I'm glad you mentioned that because I always tell people advice, you know, from a writing perspective – you do this, too, for writers. Go on radio every opportunity you get because it will crystallize, oftentimes, your central thesis as you talk through it, right? And also, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a good ear, you can pick up on what people care about. And I hear sometimes writers, and they'll say, oh, I don't like to do radio, or I don't, want to, I don't make the time to do radio. And my argument is radio is basically an opportunity for you to advertise your audience and and create people who care what you think, whether it's written or spoken. And you've always done radio quite a bit, and I think there is a certain element of writers who sometimes look down on radio. I've always argued you should use radio to lift your writing up even higher. Yeah, same with, like, you know, I mean, people make fun of, like, Around the Horn and stuff like that or some of those shows, but it's like... They're com- they're almost always really good on topic. Like yeah. I watch, it, it, I don't watch a lot of um, TV. It's not the live events. I just don't. But sometimes I'll watch um, whatever Stephen A. is that first take or whatever Stephen A. Smith show is on. Like they get right into their topics. Like and they get right to it. And it's a good Stephen A. Smith was a good call sports columnist. I'll tell you that. Um, I don't think anyone, like, I don't know how many people even remember. I guess he reminds people every once in a while, but he was a good sports columnist. Um, I first met him, he was covering Temple basketball. And I remember being like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, this, and this. And he's like, yeah, he did it all. Um, but that's a guy that worked hard. And, and, but they, they get right on their voice really quick. And, and they get right, they don't, they don't do topics that you don't need to do. And so it, it, it's, it, there, there's a trick to it. And, and a lot of those shows are very good at it in, in ways that, Maybe people don't. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know how many journalists and students listen to this thing, but I, there's a people will look down on that. Like uh, Stephen A. Smith is loud. And I'm like, no, he's highly entertaining. He's very, very smart. He gets right to the point. And the point people listen to the point. So what, what are we arguing about? Like I can't be Stephen A. Smith, but what he does is really good. Yeah, look, I, I think what you just hit on is key. I mean, it's all about the story, right? Like, you have to find the stories that people care about, and then you have to have an opinion that people care about. So I'll give an example, and I've known you for, I don't know, a long time now, uh, and I think, honestly, you reached out to me for the first time when I was writing at CBS Sports. I yeah. think you'd already gone to Yahoo, and you're like, hey, would you want to talk to Yahoo? And this has probably been, God, 12, 13 years ago now. In fact, I remember because it was when yeah. tennis – Tennessee was playing it was when Dixieland Delight was coming out uh and I went out and talked to Yahoo and we'll get to that in a minute but 
I remember uh, we were talking at the uh, Alabama Notre Dame game, and Catherine Webb at Alabama just blows out Notre Dame, right? And Catherine Webb goes up on uh, the screen and immediately becomes the story of the game. You know, good-looking girlfriend of uh, of the quarterback who was uh, whose name is escaping me now, which is ridiculous because AJ McCarron. AJ McCarron, yes. AJ AJ McCarron, yeah. And so. The game ends. Everybody's swarming Nick Saban. Everybody's swarming. Uh, everybody's swarming. And you rush over to try to find Catherine Webb because you're like, the thing that people are going to want to read about in a column is what it was like for Catherine Webb to become an overnight sensation, right? Like some people would have looked down on it and said, oh, you're there to cover the game. You were there to cover what you thought was the biggest story. And so you interviewed her, right? Yeah, well, Musburger. Remember, Musburger was like, oh, like he yeah. had all kind of old, yes. 40 old dog on it, right? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you have to, like, I remember seeing you, like, you were climbing up into the stands almost to try, like, I everybody never climbed else. Is... The stands, but I, I, I waved her down. She came down. Yeah. I, I waited for McCarron, and he went over because he's going to go, like, hug her or whatever. So then yeah, I right. So it was. Yeah, so I was like, I got the interview with Catherine Webb, and it was. She said, like, she, she added 80,000 uh, Twitter followers. Like, her phone that. blew up, and, right? Yeah, she could Like, LeBron James yeah, well, started following her. Like, I mean, it was, yeah, a, it was a huge story. Yeah, and, and she got an email every – she had, like, a notification, she said, where she got an email every time a Twitter follower. Because she had, like, whatever. She didn't have any Twitter followers before then. So, like, you know, Jenny from <laughs> sociology class is now following. Okay. Yeah. Right? Well – she got so many emails, her, her battery just dies. So then they're trying to get word. She didn't quite know what had happened. She knew she'd been on TV. And, I mean, look, she's like the beauty queen. She was not a, is not 100% naive. Um, it was funny. It was like three weeks later, she was covering the Super Bowl for, like, extra. I saw her <laughs> That's right. That's like, right. <laughs> she got to the Super Bowl pretty quick. I was like, you remember me? I interviewed you three weeks ago. No one knew you well, I just, like, remember, I just remember A.J. McCarron's well, face when I said, like, in the locker room afterwards, I'm like, you know, LeBron James is following your girlfriend now. And he's like, he doesn't you, follow me. You, you and I interviewed Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And so I go – so I get this – Catherine Webb's nice. She's got these nice comments. So I go down. I'm like, I talked to McCarron. Well, fortunately, the locker room's open. It's the only game in college football where you can actually talk to the player. College, like, college sports tries to hide all their athletes terrible these guys are great stories and they're like good talk to the players you know uh there'll be three questions in front of them it's uh, access to college football stinks and they should just let these kids be kids because they're great and you and i are in there but all the questions are always going to be the same at these things like it's just going to be about the game and i'm like i want to ask him about his girlfriend becoming like global like famous like yeah. he has no idea he just won the title and you were there, and it was great because we were both asking them about it. And then we could bounce back and forth, and they couldn't break in with, oh, third and four, did you think? Yeah. You know, you, 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 you know I was like, God, they, they won 50 to zero or something. The game is horrible. And I get it. Everyone's got a job to do. But, yeah, we both. And you, you go, LeBron James followed your girlfriend. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he was very naive. He had no idea. And then I remember his other funny line was, he goes, well, I think we're going to go. They were staying at the uh, Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami. He goes, oh, I'm hungry. I hope they still have food or the place is still open back at the Fontainebleau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they never they never close at the Fontainebleau. They have Live Nightclub is open until like 6 a.m. Yeah. yeah uh, South Beach, don't worry about it. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a big story. I had the interview with 
But that's so you learn, right? You get the trust of like, screw it, I'm not covering this game. This game stinks. Right? You go, you go wherever the, the story is. And I remember you saying something, a couple of other examples. Uh, Jay Cutler, one of the first times that social media really starts to influence a game, Cutler pulls himself out of the game uh, because of his knee injury in the NFC Championship game. I think where they playing like the Packers. I can't even remember who they were playing now. Uh, and he's injured on the sideline, and all the NFL players start mouthing off about how he can't be that injured and it turns into a story. And I remember you saying afterwards what social media did was it turns what used to be the second or third day story into the first day. In other words, it accelerates the cycle. So you go and talk to Jay Cutler, I remember, in the post game, and you say, hey, did you see what guys are saying about you pulling yourself out of the game? And it was like Cutler had no idea because he'd been on the sideline, and that's your story. It's not about what happened in the game. It's about Cutler coming out right. and the way people respond to it. Right, and I remember that one, like, like until social media, they'd be, like, what would you, you'd have to, first of all, you'd have to be able to get their numbers or have their numbers, and you have to randomly call up these athletes and be like, hey, do you have an opinion on on Jake Cutler right now? Like, yes. you know, some random cornerback for the Jacksonville Jaguars or something? No. So, plus, if you call up and go, hey, I want to interview about what you think, it's, they won't say anything, but they're, like, drinking beers on their couch. <laughs> and they're firing they're off, on, off like, on social media, yeah, and it's public. Yeah. And yeah, now we cover social media all the time. Like it's it's this is it's a second world. Do you yeah. remember when that evolution happened from I'm at the game to write about what happens in the game to I've got to already kind of take the conversation beyond where uh, what happened in the game to the next conversation that people are going to have because everybody's watching the game and with social media everybody's talking about the game. So your column has to be something different than what you just watched, or the takeaway has to be something larger. I think I've always been like, especially with like a Super Bowl or any of it, it's always been like, well, why am I here, right? What access do I have? Um, so if I'm at the Super Bowl, like 130 million people watch the Super Bowl, and they have HDTV, they've got all the replays, I might not. You know, like I'm at the, the press box, which is great, but it's usually like the worst seats in the whole stadium. You don't have, like you just don't, I, they know better and like they know their teams better. Like uh, just, so what can I do? Well, I can do something behind the scenes. What was it like this happened? Or you maybe zoom in on one play and then ask all the people what happened on the play or like you have to use your access. So I think I've always kind of had that where it's like, I have to give them something other than just, Hey, uh, oh, wow, man, Tom Brady's great. They won another Super Bowl. Like, uh, you know, of course they did. Or, just, just like I'm here to find a story, not just necessarily just be at the game. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I, I don't, like, I, I'm, ne- I, I never really care what happens in the game. Nobody ever, a lot of people don't believe that, but I don't care. I don't like. I, I, I something will happen. That's that's all it is. I don't care who wins. I don't. It, it, I don't really even care if it's close or not. Sometimes you do, but like as long as there's something I can find, I'm all right. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. 
Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'll give you an example, too. You just mentioned Brady. I remember two of your columns that were so well done from the Super Bowl, and we're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports National Columnist, I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to the Wins and Losses podcast. You wrote a column about Giselle's reaction, I think, when Brady lost, right? Um, And about just the humanity of that's just a guy who happens to have a girlfriend and they happen to be world famous, but how upset she was about just by what you could see in the tunnels underneath the stadium uh, uh, over that loss. And another one was Brady after they uh, win. I guess this is the AFC championship game. But after Brady, I think it was, beats Patrick Mahomes, like he kind of snuck in a back door to go talk to Mahomes after the game to kind of walk through after that overtime yeah. game. And I don't think, I don't, at least I don't remember anybody else writing those. That's an example of taking advantage of being there, but also finding a way to find something that nobody else has. Right, right. So I have the access, so use it, right? Don't, what happens on the field, everybody saw. So... That doesn't mean I don't sometimes write about what happens on the field. But, like, I, I can't add to that conversation really that well. And and I don't pretend – I don't ever say I'm, like, an expert on these sports. Um, like, football is a very complicated game. And so, for me to be like, oh, he overthrew that receiver. Well, maybe the receiver ran the wrong. Well, I, I mean, I, there's so many things happening in football particularly. But, so, like, yeah, I followed Tom Brady after a Super Bowl loss. Like, he was devastated. Like, devastated. Like, every one of those losses just guts those guys. I don't care how much money you got, how beautiful your wife is, all that stuff. Like, if you're a competitor, you are gutted. And he was gutted in that one. And the one with Mahomes, I was just standing there, and he he said something to the security guy, and all of a sudden he goes in the back door and says, Chiefs. And I'm like, what's up with that? And he comes out, and I go in the locker room, and I'm just – and I asked the security guard. He said he wanted to know where Mahomes was. Um, the security guard's not allowed to talk, right? So then uh, I got the security guard in trouble. Um, yeah. <laughs> random random person. And, 
But anyway, I go up to him. I said, you go talk to Mahomes and what would you say? And he just gave me, like, one line. He, didn't really, he was kind of surprised I knew. But at least I, you know, he just was like, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, tell him I didn't see him on the field or whatever. So, yeah, like, what can you get? That's, and then that was, I thought, was a good column because it was like, you know, this young kid had played so well. And it was like the old guy held him back, but it was like, I'm going to go acknowledge that I know how much pain you're in, but you're really a hell of a player. And so, yeah, like if you, you have to pay attention and you have to try to use your access the best, the best you possibly can. Now, what's the fun part of the job too? Like that's the fun part to me, like, to, like finding stuff. Finding a story that nobody else has told. Now, one yeah. thing one thing that you, I think, have been on the vanguard of, I mean, we've talked about the fact that you're on the vanguard of building Yahoo Sports and, and making the decision to write online and all of those things, but you also will allow data and analytics to inform you in either confirming that you're on the right track in terms of writing about what people care about. Uh, and, and so I'm curious on that. Let me give a little bit of a background for people out there. Story goes up on the front page of Yahoo Sports. It's read by millions and millions of people, right? Um, you know, there's a little tab right. for sports uh, for people who are not familiar or haven't spent a lot of time there. And those stories, they'll rotate them through based on algorithm. They're the things that they think people are going to click on the most, right? The goal with everything on those pages is to write things that are clickable. And sometimes it'll be a basic news story. And I know you guys sometimes have AP wires and stuff. But I'm always stunned by the number of writers who don't pay attention to what is read that they write. I've always been an analytics guy, especially once I started OutKick. I'm going to write about things that people care about. And sometimes I'll sit around and say, okay, I could write that. But it's going to be a tiny audience. And sometimes you make that decision because it's something that matters to you. But ultimately, if you are a sports writer, to me, you're in the business of being read. And you can use that data and that analytics to help either confirm you uh, that people care about something or that they don't. And so I'm curious, when did you start paying attention to those numbers and start using them in some way to help guide you as to what the nation cared about? Really early. I mean, because we had access to them. So I was like, I wanted to know. And my job is to bring people to Yahoo or keep them at Yahoo. Like, that's my job. Now, however I do that, so it's not I'm here to cover a game not here to win an award. It's not here to be friends with this. It's uh, my job is to find people to bring them to Yahoo or keep them on there. And so, what are they most interested in? Now, look, there is a there's a tipping point on that where you just become just nonsense, right? Yeah. So you don't you, you have to balance that. But very quickly, you probably doesn't need analytics, but you realize a lot more people are interested in the Los Angeles Lakers than Sacramento Kings, right? So it better be a hell of a story with the Sacramento Kings right now. Like I'm not, I'm not right now covering NBA because I'm at soccer. But let's take women's soccer. Like I'm not going to write about the, the Netherlands team. Like, yeah, <laughs> hey, they got a star player on the Netherlands. What? No, I'm going to write about Alex Morton. Are you crazy? Like, so you know, those are the extremes. But if you really sense it and you see all the different stuff, you kind of figure out. Uh, uh, some of it. So some of it is just like write the star. I mean, these are not in, in the general purposes are not not surprising. But it, there is times when people kind of seem to forget. You're like, geez, that's, a, that's an interesting topic choice there. I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with the low hanging fruit. It's hard to get people to read. Don't yeah. make it harder. Has there been a time and where you talk radio stuff too? Like yeah. you were talking about talk radio or or the the ESPN the Fox sports shows like. FS1 shows, like, they don't, 
they're trying to keep people watching. And that's why they go the same topic over and over. And I get why, like, listeners or viewers get upset. And, like, they're always talking about LeBron James. But it's like, well, not everyone watches for five hours a day. And so, you know, that's this is who they're interested in. Um, it's it's interesting that you mentioned you know like your your job your job can you say that again because I think it's interesting how many people have jobs and they don't ever really dissect what their job is and it's interesting that you worked in construction where you know it's relatively easy like you have a discrete job your day to, your job today is to dig this ditch right like that's what you're supposed to do um, and don't break anything yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, like even, you know, you said you, you train to be a card dealer, right? Your job at, at Blackjack right. is to deal the cards and not screw up and pay out things correctly. Same thing if you're playing craps. A lot of people I and feel don't like have... don't let anyone steal the money. That was what I realized. The yeah. number one thing. Don't let anyone, don't steal, let anybody the steal the money. Like, they don't really right. know what their job is. It's amazing to me how many people have jobs, and they, they, they have these amorphous jobs. I'm like, what do you do? Well, I kind of do this. If you can't distill your job down, and you just distilled it, you said your job is to either get people to come to the site or get them to stay longer. That really, I mean, that kind of sums up the internet, right? That sums up all media. Right? Yeah. It's all media. That's it. What, what am I doing, and what is the differentiator? So think about, like, um, a really good broadcaster, okay? And you go, okay, so, like, take um, Vin Scully. Is Vin Scully with the great – who's the great Dodger guy? Vince, no, it's not Vince. Who's the guy that's retired? I don't know. Let's think of Monday Night Football or something like that. John Madden. Right? What did John Madden um, do that was so good? John Madden. So – Okay, I'm going to watch. Great game, right? Packers, Packers and, uh, and the Bears are playing, and I want to watch the game. And then, well, the game's out of hand, but Madden's entertaining me, so I stick through another quarter. That's John Madden, right? This is funny. That guy's funny. I'm going to keep watching. Um, or I don't know who's playing, but John Madden's on, right? There was a time when Dick Vitale was really that. Like, he was a big basketball game. Dick Vitale's yelling. He's got a college. Hey, I'll watch this. What's going on? This guy's going crazy. Right, I'm gonna watch that thing. So, like, a, if you just think of what gets you to stay one more segment, and or what draws you in. Now, it's harder to draw them in, but when they're there, how do you keep them? So, whatever that is, and now also that can be like, don't be annoying or <laughs> don't make someone. There's a lot that goes into that, but that's that's media. But yeah, I would I would always say to anyone who has a job, is figure out what your job really is, and even ask your boss, like, why am I here? Like what? And it's a little risky now because my people don't know why you're here. <laughs> if you don't know why you're here, I'm going to fire you. But it is it is remarkable to me how many people have jobs and don't understand the basic question that you have to answer is why am I here? How do I make my job boss more money? And you know, like how do I do that? Like just basic blocking and tackling, I would say, of the show element of right. the job. And then you better figure out every day did I do that? Yeah. But this is it. if that seeps into the back of your head, and so whatever your job is, it's like, you know, I think like some of them are obvious, right? Like sales, right? Well, my job, I'm a car dealer. My job is to sell a car. Okay. So did you do that today? But there's also other parts, right? So I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how to sell cars. So try. It, it will help you do better at your job. If you, if you know why you're here, and even if your boss hasn't thought about it, you'll probably do the job really well. And so that's, that's my job. So I don't always sit there and go, I'm a, uh, my job is to write, do this. It's not my, this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how, how exactly that works. I don't know. But every day I got to try to do that. Now, the concept of the podcast is wins and losses, and I mentioned earlier that you reached out. Yeah. We met each other like 11, 12 years ago, 13, whatever it was. I went out to interview at Yahoo. 
And so I'm trying to make a living as a writer online. I'm having some success at CBS. Uh, and you get me set up with an interview. I come out to Santa Monica to the Yahoo offices. I spend all day there. I think it goes pretty well. I'm like, you know what? I'd love to get this gig. I think it would be pretty good. They give me some freedom. I'd get a you know salary increase. The audience would be outstanding. And I don't get the job offer, right? I go out there, and then they just kind of leave me hanging for a couple of months, and and I didn't get the job offer. And so I sometimes wonder what would have happened with my career, where it would have gone, because at the time, I wasn't, I don't think, doing radio yet. I hadn't certainly done television. Um, what would have happened if I had taken that Yahoo job? And sometimes, like, you, you may know the answer of why I didn't get the job. I haven't even asked. I think it's potentially good. I don't know. I yeah. forgot you. I forgot you you got out there yeah i didn't know what to do with you yeah i i went spent the entire spent the entire day talking to everybody at the yahoo main offices in santa monica thought uh you had reached out you've been like hey we haven't really hired anybody who's kind of in the you know zany irreverent you know at the time i was writing hopefully humorous columns at cbs you're like i think we could find somebody in that i think it makes sense because you you were instrumental and i don't think you've even mentioned this but you were the first hire at yahoo you talked about how you laid out the different uh the different roles but you also were incredibly instrumental in bringing in those early voices at yahoo i mean in many ways you helped to build it yeah, de- yeah, definitely. I recruited a lot of people. And, to, and, uh, and the, vo- the voice that exists for Yahoo Sports is in many ways uh, your ideas of who's good voices that could be, whether it's Woj, whether it's Pat Forty. I mean, you have been Pete Thamel over the years, very right. instrumental in the guys and who have ended up there. investigative, Ben. Right? Yes. We wanted to do investigations. We wanted to be unencumbered. We wanted to tell – we wanted to write, write tough, tough columns. Like, you know, we weren't just – we weren't afraid, all the different things we, we've tried. You know, we did tons and tons of investigations for a long time. We still do. Um, yeah, like, we're going to cover all the uncomfortable things. Yeah, and we I don't think, have the... You don't have the encumbrances have the of the relationships yeah. at the time. And so yeah. you talked about yeah. what your job is. You also sometimes, look, you're Yahoo Sports. You talked about the difficulty that you guys had sometimes getting credentialed. And a lot of times, I think, in life, people focus on the advantages they don't have, right? They focus on the disadvantages. They sit around and say, well, we can't do that because we don't have X, Y, or Z. Do you remember, like, a, a moment where you thought, well, hey, we can be the independent voice, the guys who are willing to write stories that others might not, and this gives us an advantage because there's a market out here for the, the style of writing that we would do for investigative pieces or whatnot. Did you have that as a light bulb moment? Was it something gradual that happened? Were you cognizant of thinking about it even back in 2003 when you went to Yahoo? No, I, we always, I always knew that, that we would – I wanted to be a part of something like that. I didn't want to – the other thing is that, I mean, it was good branding if you want to get into that. I mean, you can't, you can't make investigative journalism into anything other than investigative journalism or you'll get the stories wrong. Um, like, it can never be a crusade. It can never be, like, – it'll be wrong because you'll miss – you'll be blinded. You walk in a blind spot, so you can't do that. But you know, in a in a broader thing, like we be, we had to become impossible to ignore. So you have these huge stories that no one else has, and particularly early on, like you know, so Nevin Shapiro or, or um, I don't know some of the other big yeah, yeah, I want to go in stories, and we're going to cover Aaron Hernandez, and no one else is. We're going to do stuff that, and like all the leagues, I mean, like the PR guy, I usually, I get along pretty much all of them, but at the beginning, it's like, man, they were paying the neck and 
like, you know, they joke and strike, you know, because like the Prince of Darkness, nobody, you never call for anything good. Like, no, that's not what we're going to be. But you, they know who you are, you know, like, so it's just the way it is. Like, I've, I have this, like, incredible, like, oddball relationship with college sports. Like, I love college sports, right? And I actually love the scandals of college sports. I think the scandals of college sports are part of the fun of college sports. Like, I do never think, like, oh, my God, everything's tainted because there's a scandal. It's like, this is the funny part. Uh, like, I, I, I used to always hate, I have used this example sometimes, but when I was a kid, I, watched, I loved the Boston Bruins. I loved watching hockey. And there'd be a fight on, uh, the, at the game. And, and uh, you know, it'd be awesome. And then I'd run to, and then I'd get the next day, like, in the paper or, or the, the, at the, oh, this game was marred by a bench-clearing brawl. And then I'd run to school and be, like, sixth grade and be like, yeah, I see the brawl last night. It was awesome, right? <laughs> like, just like, dude, the Nevin Shapiro story is hysterical. <laughs> the story was so entertaining. Like, it was nuts. It was completely nuts. It was like a billionaire Ponzi schemer, like, funding this team. Like, totally crazy story. Like, yeah, it stinks for Miami, but <laughs> whatever. They got back. None of this stuff ever sticks. Like, you know what's a bad story? Like, Larry Nasser. That's a bad story. There's nothing good at that. But, you know, some of these scandal stories are just funny. And so it's like, whatever, that's part of the part of the charm of the whole thing. So I'm curious when you have one of these big investigative pieces and you have worked, I mean, for instance, the Nevin Shapiro case. I mean, there's no telling how many hours like you guys put in. I think it's you and Charles Robinson back in the day. Charles Robinson did the most of it. But yeah, it was a ton. How much nervousness? Nine months. Yeah, okay. So how much nervousness is there in the minute before you click publish and you know it's going to go out and everybody's about to see it? Because and let me let me like preface that by Yeah, let me preference that again because you know the era that we're in and have been in for a long time is a lot of times now people don't try and go after the whole story. They try to find one little mistake and say, well, if this is not yeah. accurate, then maybe that means the whole thing is not accurate, right? And it's almost impossible if you write five, six, seven thousand words about anything that every little detail is going to be ironed out perfectly no matter how long you work on it, right? So when yeah, that... I heard this covering, uh, yeah, one when, when, when am I nervous? Like for a week at least. A week, like I'm, leading I'm talking, up like, to it. Asleep. Like stomach is like... Oh, is, yeah. Terrified. Have trouble sleeping. Terrified. And what, what are we missing? And we try to report backwards on the story, report the other side. There's two things about what you want to do on any store, you want to be accurate and you want to be fair. And those are two different things. And you can be accurate and unfair. Um, and you can be, I guess it can always be just inaccurate. So, but you want to be fair also. So it's like, what am I missing? Like, is it like you're going to write this story and be like, you guys did this. And then they go, yeah, we did this because of that. And you're like, Oh, right. <laughs> right. So you don't want to do, I don't know. You just, you, you, you just, yeah, you just spend so much time on it. It's just a meat grinder. It's just a meat people. And the problem is, you, you're right. Like, I, I heard a prosecutor say this one time, and I thought it was very good in a trial. was like, this case is like a rope. It's one thread of the rope phrase. If you don't believe one thread, it, the rope is still strong. It is not chained. Okay, so if one little part of the defense makes sense. Doesn't mean there are two dead bodies over here or something like that, right? So it's like, and so, yeah, they'll try to find one little thing. And then there's really, in, in nowadays, 
like there's basically state-run media. There's these organizations that just are like the websites are just and like there's always one there's always one guy who's either got a blog or a page or whatever. It's just like all he's there to do his whole business is to defend the school. So like no matter what the story is, they're just going to be like, oh, it's not true, it's overblown, and we're there to you know defend, and then they just they attack you. So you just kind of got to that part you just got to deal with. Um, but like our track record's phenomenal because we take it very, very seriously. But you have to be, I've seen people do not know how to do investigative journalism. I've watched so many good reports blow up on dumb mistakes at a lot of media outlets. It is really, really hard to do. And you have to be really, really into it. You need good editors. You need total dedication. And half of them don't work because they aren't done right. Even though they actually, they actually are true. A lot of them are true. They're just poorly done, or they're not fair. Those are there's a lot. There's a lot there. So, uh, you've written a lot of stories over the years about quote unquote improper benefits or pay for play things like that. Do you have less of an appetite for writing those stories now than you might have a decade ago? Well, we never really cared about the. I could write a. We could have done a million like you know point guard somewhere gets the money. We were never into that. What we decided at one point was the NCA was really pretending that there were white hats and black hats, and they were using it to justify not paying the players and amateurism and, and avoiding taxes and stuff. So, In other words, that there's guys who cheat and there's guys who don't cheat, and there's a strong yeah. difference between the two. In. Yeah. Park is terrible. The rest of the guys are good, right? And it's like, give me a break, right? And I covered a – I mean, it's just – Forget it. Right? This is just ridiculous. So we did have a stretch. We just said, we're just going to blow everybody up. Like, we're, and we're going to go big schools. We're not doing small schools. Like, we're going, we're going to find stuff about whatever come up. But Ohio State and Oregon and, and you know, we went after UConn and whatever we had. We didn't care. But it was done with a purpose. It wasn't done to, like, we really almost never tried to get a player in trouble. It was to get the coach or the system in trouble. Now, there was some... Um, obviously there's some, you know, players would get, get in trouble or something like that, but it was like, we showed how bad it was and they, they did get rattled. They ended up passing the, the stipend rule after the whole chaos. We had enough stuff that they convened a big thing and they ended up passing stipend. So all these players, it did, it did create something, but we'd always be getting criticized. Like, we guys just trying to do the NCAA's work? But like, no, the NCAA hates us. We're blowing them apart because we're showing they're not doing anything, and it ended up changing. So there was a, there was like a, a grander motivation to it than just if I if we just want to go find out a, a college basketball player got something that doesn't that's not that hard. You can do that, um, but we never wanted to be like the, it's not about the like we did one on UConn basketball and like we did, it was not about like the poor kid that got some money. He deserves the money. It was like. Jim Calhoun had his former manager, student manager, was now an eight. He's using him to funnel the thing. Like, like it was, you know, clear how they were doing it. And it's like, this is how sophisticated the cheating is. It's a little like the whole college basketball scandal, which the feds botched, but it showed how sophisticated it was. It's not just a, you know, so let's not focus on the one kid that got a thousand bucks. It's like, you got Adidas and Nike, like, funneling bags of cash to players like, and the coaches don't have to do it. So it's really expo- trying to expose what the whole system really is, which 
nobody wants to do. They want to just catch a bunch of speeders and ignore all the other things. What would you change if you if they came to you tomorrow and they said, Dan Wetzel, you're now in charge of the NCAA? How would you change it? I I, I just would let the players get their name, image, and likeness. I just I, I'd like I'm a free market person. I just let the market go. If you can if you can make some extra money, you get sponsored. People will say, "Oh, it's going to screw up recruiting." I don't think it really will. I don't actually don't. I actually think it would level the playing field. This is actually, you know, right right now it's all about the schools keeping all the booster money. But I, I don't know. It's kind of complicated, but it, it's actually not complicated. This is what they did in the Olympics. They just if you can if if you can get a a, a commercial or if someone wants to pay you to go to a school, someone wants to let you sign autographs. Uh, for a thousand bucks or five thousand, whatever they want to do, go ahead and get it. Um, just get out of the way. Let the kids make their money, and then uh, it'll. It, 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 the school isn't paying, but you're just you're no longer getting in the way of them. They're amateurs. They ought to be able to make their money some other way. So I that, that was what I do, and I, I think you'd solve almost all the problems. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports National Columnist. Another thing you've done in addition to being a national columnist, we mentioned that you have the new books that are out, the uh, the biographies for uh, for middle school students, and that's called the Epic Athlete Series. Alex Morgan, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Serena Williams, uh, those are going to be the first four. But you also wrote a book called Death to the BCS. 
Um, what? How would you compare the writing of a book process to the writing of a column, and which do you prefer more? Well, a column, you get done quick. <laughs> yeah. Books <laughs> take a long time. Death of BCS was very reporting-heavy, a lot of documents. Um, you know, we I think we just wanted to show how all of the excuses were such nonsense. What a what a ridiculous entity the bowl system is and the fact that they allow this thing. Like, you talk about ridiculous. Like, the, the NCA, like, you know, if, if a player gets, you know, $500, uh, oh, it's a threat to amateurism, but if the head of the Sugar Bowl makes seven hundred fifty grand, it's like, oh, that's our buddy. It's great, right? Like, it's so, I mean, it's so ridiculous. So that was just a, that was like, we... We, you know, everybody wanted the BCS gone, or everyone, nobody, everyone hated the BCS. And I remember Josh Peter, who works at USA Today now, and I just, we were talking on the phone. I'm like, let's find out, like, why this thing really exists. And, like, you know, no, no favors, no, like, you know, the bull directors all hated, everybody hated me while I was writing that book. I mean, everybody. We were, we were in everyone's FOIAs and everything, and bonuses, and, like, why does this really exist? Because nobody quite knew. There was no, like, smoking gun. And we went through all of it. We wrote a bunch of stories, and then we just turned it into a book because it's easier to read in one spot. And I just remember at the very end of the book process, I flew down to Birmingham, and I sat with Mike Slive in the SEC offices, and I had all my information. And I'm, like, going through this stuff, like, well, why do you allow this or why that? And he's sitting there going, well, wh- wait, what is this? What you find out about this? Like, like, different stuff he was just stunned about. And I'm like, holy cow, like, we really have a good book here. Like, I remember he was, it was like, I found some clause in, like, the Fiesta Bowl contract where you're like, like, you had to buy certain rooms at a hotel, and then we found the Fiesta Bowl was kicking the money back to the hotel. And somebody had, like, a free wedding at a hotel that was in, the, like, there's just so much graft going on, and people would just be like, well, I can't, I didn't even know all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, no, like, literally nobody knows what's going on. Just it's all happening. So that was just a long, it was a long reporting process of a few years. And uh, fortunately, I got rid of the BCS. I don't think the problem was the people who designed this playoff didn't want a playoff. So it's not really a very good playoff, but eventually they'll get it right. We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. You, uh, we were talking about different stories and the way they come about. You were in the room when I asked Tim Tebow if he was saving himself for marriage, and I think you turned it into a... Uh, All-time great question. Yeah. Yahoo column. Uh, but um, what do you remember about that? And some people listening to this right now, it's been, a, it's been a decade now. They may not even know that I was the person who asked. I mean, they kind of have a vague recollection of the Tim Tebow is a virgin story, but the reason why that became a story was because I asked Tim Tebow if he was saving himself for marriage. And it blew up into a huge story. This has probably been what a decade ago, and you know you'd go to the SEC media days, and Tim Tebow was as close to a rock star as you could find back in the day. They were coming off of a national championship. He was a rising senior, and so I asked that question, and it's like I mean a neutron bomb goes off, right? Now partly it's because it's July and there's not a lot of stories, and you know this. You were talking about how you're at the Super Bowl and there's nothing to write. Well, there's a thousand media members or whatever it is at the SEC media right. days. And most of them are doing notes, columns, you know, like, oh, you know, Nick Saban said that he thinks his defensive tackle depth is going to be better this year than it was last year. Are the LSU wide receivers going to be able to make plays? You know, like really things that are very uh, not very big stories, right? And then this thing goes and it goes off like a neutron bomb. And I remember it was right after I started Twitter. 
Um, so uh, that was one of the first times I saw social media really take off. So I think it was like '09, like a decade ago. What do you remember about that? All-time great question. All-time. <laughs> one of the all-time great questions. First off, you wrote a column. Asking the question. Column back yes. There, apparently. You said you were going to ask the question. So mm-hmm. then we were down there, and you're like, I'm going to ask the question. So I'm like, I'm not missing this. You're like, this is going to be great. So <laughs> I was like, it's a great question. It's a great question. And I always, I'm literally on a different thing I'm dealing with, like, right now. Like, I want to ask one question. I always... I hate asking questions at press conferences, and that's the problem. You had to ask it at a press conference because it's uncomfortable for everybody, but this yes. is how they try to limit you. And there's so many times, like, I don't need an exclusive interview to sit down. The people who sit down for interviews, the interviews are terrible. They waste 25 minutes on crap. Like, I, all I need is one question. I have one question, answer that, and we're done. Um, if I could do that on every assignment, I'd be good. I got, and I've done it with people. Like I, I remember doing one with Nick Saban once after a SEC title game. I asked, um, I asked them. I'm like, I just, I always want to ask this one question to them. They're like, all right, they'll bring them over. Boom, it was great. Um, but on that one, I remember. So you're going to do it. So it was, wasn't the main room. Like I don't think they gave you the mic. It was like a side room, and you asked. But here's the thing: everyone ripped you. I mean, you got torched. Yes, <laughs> yes, for like the whole <laughs> week. Right. Whole week, yeah. Oh, still, yeah. Mil- I oh, still get, I still get rid- like a million. I remember, uh, like Dennis Dodd was like, uh, "Are you going to ask?" I, I don't remember. I, I don't remember. And, and later we talked about it, so I, I like Dennis. But it was like, "Are you going to ask?" Uh, you know, like I, it was something like, "Are you going to ask Les Miles if he has an STD?" And I remember thinking, like, the really funny <laughs> thing. And, and I might be, it might not have been that exact line, but that was in his column, something like that. And I remember thinking, like, yeah. hey, I'm thinking the next day it would have been amazing to stand up and be like, uh, hey, Les Miles, Clay Travis, uh, Dennis Dodd yeah, wanted yeah. me to ask you if you have herpes. You know, like, just see the room just, like, erupt and, like, because you get, if you've ever been in those rooms, that yeah, if you've ever been in those rooms, most of the questions are not very interesting, and most people don't care about the answer, the answers, right? So almost and, immediately. And reading the story. Right. And, and by the way, everybody was so upset about me asking the question. What did everybody write their whole next day columns about? It was all about whether Tim Debow is a virgin or not, right? Um, right? Of course, of course. So, but here's the thing. People, I'll put this on the record because there's got to be video, but as I recall it, Tebow, everyone laughed. And Tebow yes. goes, it's nothing. I get that. I get asked that every time I talk to kids. Yep. He said something like that. Like, every time I speak... I put up, and they, they go, do you have any questions? And someone goes, are you, like, what's up with this? Like, are you really a virgin or something like that? And he had no, of course not. Tim Tebow is the most unflappable, like, he's a fantastic guy. And, uh, you know, it's like, he yeah, he had no problem with it. He was, like, happy to answer it. Oh, I, and, I, I and, and look. Was like, Ten years later, people are still like, Tim Tebow's a virgin. I'm like, I'm not, that question was a long time ago. I don't know if he's still a virgin. Yeah, you know what was interesting, too, was um, I maybe felt more comfortable with the question because growing up in the South, if you were saving yourself for marriage, it was something that you would brag about, right? Like, you would wear a promise ring if you were really serious. Like, at that point in time, it was something that in the evangelical faith was a very common point of discussion. The promise keepers, like all this different stuff surrounding it. So I didn't think he would be bothered by the question. But I also thought it helped to define who he was, right? This is this guy who's on an SEC campus that probably gets swarmed by girls. Not probably, certainly gets swarmed by girls everywhere he goes. 
and he is so religious that he's still, you know, abstaining from having sex, which 99.99% of men, I would imagine, in that situation probably do not make that decision, right? So I thought it defined him in a really interesting way, but I remember that feeling uh, of, like, that story blowing up. And look, it's happened to me two or three different times since then, but that was the first, oh, my God, like, this is the number one story in the of the day, and it wouldn't be, uh, you know, it wouldn't exist without me having been involved in some way. And the same thing happened, obviously, with CNN, with, uh, you know, First Amendment and boobs, except on an even bigger scale, because that wasn't just a sport. That wasn't just a sports story, right? But you kind of get comfortable. And then I had the DeMarcus Cousins, like, he'll get arrested in five years tweet that was like a decade old oh, yeah. or five years old or whatever. Yeah, and so at good, some yeah. point, like, you kind of just get used to. Got on that one. Yeah, yeah, well, in the social media age, like, are, you know, you just kind of get used to suddenly, like, I go into Twitter and I've got, you know, a billion messages and I'm like, oh, what happened? You know, like, oh. and I remember having this oh, conversation no. yeah. with with Cowherd about, like, uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney comes out and he's like, Colin Cow, what, you know, he didn't even know, know his name. Like, I, I hope he learned something by the way our team performed. And people are like, oh, Dabo, you know, he really got on Cowherd. And I'm like, in our business, the coach of a post-game press conference who just won a national championship calling you out by name is the greatest yeah. thing that could ever happen to your career, right? Like, people are like, oh, my right. God, how are you ever going to recover from this? I'm like, are you kidding me? It reminds me, remember back in the day when Michael Moore did the Fahrenheit 9-11 and they, like, showed him on the yeah. Jumbotron at uh, at the Republican National Convention and, like, he waves to everybody and he turns to the guy next to him and he says, I just made another million dollars because they're all booing him. <laughs> and it's, like, the greatest advertisement he could have ever had for his, uh, for his, uh, for his documentary. And that's in some ways what we do, but you you saw it. I mean, it was like uh, you know like pure yeah. bedlam in the in the in the aftermath. Oh, but it, it's the thing you 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 did elicit great information, which is your job. Stories. It's one of the most famous things known about Tim Tebow. It's, and it, it may be it the most famous true. question ever asked at SEC Media Days. I'm not sure that there's a close. And it number was two. fair. It, now, yeah. The fairer way, it, it, but the, you're encumbered because you're like, I want to ask you one question. Yeah. And this is my, one of my problems with media is they, they won't let you talk to them directly, but then they have, they do sit down for interviews that are almost all terrible. Like the interviews just aren't any good. So it's like, but that's, sometimes you see really good stuff. Like, um, one of my colleagues at Yahoo, Chris Haynes, does a podcast with NBA players. Like, it's, it's great. They really talk to him and he gets great information from them. Um, because he just, he has great rapport with them. It's a really good podcast. And sometimes you can just get, like, just, you know, I just thought that was a just a, a tremendous. Uh, it, was a, it was a great question. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one. I, I was just going to say I wanted to ask, or I asked once. Oh, I, it was yeah. I, it was actually not that good of a story. It was just like the old Michigan State bas- uh, football coach uh, John L. Smith came on our radio show in Detroit. I asked him like, "Hey, this guy's got this website, FireJohnLSmith.com, or something like." What's it like having a guy have a website saying, like, fire? He got so mad, and everyone got mad at me for asking him at Michigan State. I'm like, I was wondering. Like, I didn't say you should be fired, but, like, it's got to be kind of odd, right? But, like, they don't want real questions. And so it's just this weird – it's this weird – it probably always has been weird, the media. But, like, we know lots about the athletes through filter of Instagram, but you can't actually ask them anything. And it's a tough – the thing was, it's a tough question to ask at a press conference to Tebow, but Tebow handled it perfectly. Most players would have struggled with that. Tebow's just amazing. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think Tebow will eventually run for political office. I mean, that's been my prediction. He'll go down to Florida and he'll get elected governor uh, or senator if he decides yeah, he wants to win. do it. Yeah. And it win. I mean, he'll win running away. And I think I imagine he'll run as a Republican. I don't really know a lot about his politics, but I don't know. I think he's one of those guys that it doesn't really matter what party he runs for. Like he will have a ton of response. So. One yeah. thing that you, you have always done well, and I think it gets underrated, and I keep hit hammering on this. I know you've got a couple of young daughters, but I've got you know the three boys, and I focus a ton on trying to praise their effort more than their uh, more than the results. And, and that sometimes for a lot of people out there listening, I, I think there's a big difference. Like you can't control uh, your talent. You can't control necessarily what skills you have in any particular universe. What you can control is your effort. And what I have admired about you for a long time is your effort is insanely high. You write more words and more columns than almost anybody out there. Do you attribute that to just a work ethic? Um, you know, I think there's two different kinds of people in, 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 in our industry in, at large, right? I think there's people who think like, oh, I need a stroke of brilliance. I'll say writers. You know, there's the writer out there who's like, I need a stroke of brilliance. I need something to motivate me in order to write something. And then there's other people, and I would put myself in this category of what I do is produce words, right? That's my job. So if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job. I don't feel good about it. You could easily write a lot less columns than you do. What do you attribute your work ethic to? Not the work result, but your work ethic to being up there and grinding as much as you do? Um, well, thank you. This is like the nicest podcast, like the nicest <laughs> things they said about me. Um, I, trying to get there wasn't easy. Then when you get a good job, I don't want to give it up. I've always, we've always been fighting. Like, I mean, Yahoo has a ton of advantages and things like that, believe me, but we didn't always, and then you're still trying to stay on top. People want your job. They have too much to lose. I mean, I got family and a mortgage and all that, all those things, but probably just basic pride and, and, uh, and, and liking it. it. It's funny how you said it. Like I, I put out words. Like I, I said this to journals in class recently, like, you know, some of you guys like, Oh, my favorite, I like to write in the early evening with a, you know, half calf mochaccino. I'm like, no, <laughs> yes. Like, right. There's, there's no such thing as writer's block. I'm a writer. Like you, when I, when I dug ditches, there's no dig ditching. Yes. Uh, uh, ditch digging. Block, like there's lots of right? mythologizing of writing. Digging. It's a job. Yes. Do it. It's a job. You be, if you're going to do it as a job, you better do it. There's no like, I just can't. I don't know. Believe me, I struggle at times. It's not easy. But the number, I tell people too, the number one skill in writing is concentration. Like I can really concentrate. And I don't know how, and I don't want to know how I can do it. But I can concentrate. And if you can concentrate, you can write really quickly. And you can get all your stuff out because I have written stories in subway cars, on top of garbage cans, in cities, on buses, planes, whatever, right? Like, you don't, I'm a journalist. You can't just be like, I'm now retired to the coffee shop and get my thoughts together. That's not the kind of journalist I am. Like, you know, I was covering the French, the World Cup of France, like 112 degrees. It's like you're sweating. I mean, it's just miserable. Like, doesn't matter. Write the story. So, um, there's sort of just an element of that to it. I, I kind of agree. Like, I, you can't you can't go on your radio show and just be like, I can't speak right now. I just can't. Like, it's like no, this is what I do. I signed up for this job. 
you better do it. So, I, I, and I like the work still. I like the challenge of finding stories and writing stories and reporting stories, thinking stories, doing it, the whole thing. I mean, I still really enjoy it. So, until that ends, like, I got a great job. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to give it up because I just, like, got lazy. Like, good God, that'd be, that'd be stupid. One thing I got nothing else I can do. <laughs> One thing what you've also done is we talked about how to know where the story is. What are things are people going to care about? You have covered more, I think, than anybody else in sports trials, whether it's the Aaron Hernandez murder trial, whether it is, I mean, like, you know, like uh, it can be a high school, you know, like a rape case. It can be the, you know, the the Larry Nassar awfulness that happened, the Joe Paterno situation. What is it about those stories, which are certainly sports related, but they're also in a courtroom that you think you have gravitated towards? Well, they're usually, I mean, they're usually big, serious subjects, which I'm, I don't, like, I'm, I don't, I think I said it a few times, like, I don't care if I'm at a game. Like, I never, sometimes I don't end up at a game. Like, I, I, I've covered, like, every great game. But, like, if I didn't, I don't think I went to the National Football Championship this year. Um, actually, I'm sure I didn't, right? No, I don't, like, people are, you miss, no, nope, don't miss it at all. Like, I don't, like, I'm either there or I'm not. If I was there, I'd be fine if I'm not there. Um, so, but a trial, so a trial is, is dramatic. It's a big story. Like I like big, serious stories more than just, I was at some game or was at some stadium. Um, sports to me is more about like just the backdrop of all these different, all the different mayhem that it creates. So the, the trials are good. Covering a trial is always interesting. I mean, they just, you know, I mean, it, the, the stuff that gets said, the things that happen are usually very dramatic. Um, and then there's definitely an audience because there's a true crime element where people follow these things. Like I just did Kellen Winslow that they don't, they aren't into the sports part. So you get a sports audience and then you also get the, the true crime and true crime audience is like hurting out there because, you know, if you, if you remember a day before Donald Trump announced for president, like CNN, Fox, MS, they used to cover trials. Like, I'm not just talking like Nancy Grace, like Bill O'Reilly and all those guys. Like, those like, uh, Scott and Lacey Peterson and, and, and Jody Arias and all these like random, like some random person would get murdered and it would become a big national trial. It would be on all the TV networks every single night. And so there was this huge audience for these trials. And then all of a sudden, all those networks are now 100% politics. They don't cover anything other than politics and maybe like an occasional hurricane. So where'd the audience go? Like, there's not like people stop being interested in murders. Podcast. So I mean, obviously, some people would say they're listening yeah, to you know the podcast, podcast. True, pod, true crime podcast. But yeah, you're right. It That's used to be it. it used to be an obsession because you have the natural drama, you have the uncertainty, you have the the competing stories. Uh, I mean, it is an yep. intense level of uh, of dramatic conflict and. Not very much in the world of sports do I think they get covered. No, almost nobody goes. Almost nobody goes. And so, I mean, that's another one. Like, how can I make an impact at my job, right? Like, what's my value over the other guy? And so it's like, yeah, I'm here, and, and we get massive traffic on those trials, like huge. Um, it would be dramatic. It would be very challenging. You're there like eight hours, you know. Um, 
complicated. So, And then it speaks to the difficulty, um, like the skill of being able to figure out, because in an eight-hour trial day, what was the story of the day, right? You have to trust your instincts in order to write the story that makes sense of eight hours when you have to distill it down to, I don't know, a thousand words. You might pull out four quotes, right? Yeah, and really being um, a columnist, I think, is the best way to cover trials because a lot of the trial coverage is just, so the defense said this and the prosecution said this, and then there was a judge made an evidentiary ruling on this. And it's like, like there was a day of the Hernandez trial, and it became a famous photo, but where his, his um, fiance brought his daughter yeah. to the trial. And for the last five minutes when they brought Aaron back in and he saw mid up and he's waving at her and just really amazing scene. And I talked to her after just like, you know, um, and she granted us permission to, you know, I could, that's a bait, you know, you don't really know what to, I mean, you can't bring someone into open court. We're not going to say it like the TV wanted to show her. And she's like, no, it's fine. And it was all this thing. And it was just like this, it was a great moment, and I just wrote about that. And I don't even know what happened. To the, I think they might have been deliberating part of it or something. But it's like this was the moment, and then it was literally crazy because it's like five days later he kills himself. And basically, the last time he saw his daughter, we didn't know that at the time. But um, I wonder if he did. And so it's just sometimes like again trusting what the story is. It's like okay, this is the biggest thing. Like again, if you if I'm walking home and my wife calls me and she goes, "What happened today?" I'm like, "Oh my god, they brought." The baby, the, the little girl, she's so cute. They brought her to the trial, and it's like, you know, should she have or whatever? And they go, and the call is about some evidentiary ruling. Like, you missed the story. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. 
Uh, there's lots of people out there listening right now. And again, the podcast is called Wins and Losses. I'm Clay Travis, Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports uh, national columnist. So this, you, you bring up the daughter there, and you've got two daughters. I've got three sons. This is something we've talked about. How do you balance when you work as much as you do? How do you balance out family life with your work life? Um, and especially when you have a job where you might be on the road for a week covering a trial, or you might be over uh, like you are in France right now covering multiple the Women's weeks, World yeah. Club. Like how do you, in multiple weeks, maybe a month, I remember you were over in uh, wherever yeah. it was, I think Korea, South Korea, covering the Olympics uh, over there. How do you balance out work and family life? I mean, to me, that's the number one challenge for literally every parent and every working parent. Yeah, everybody struggles with it. Um, everybody wants more family time, and but you also have to, you know, one of the things you have to do is provide for your family. So that is a challenge I just think everybody grapples with. You know, the benefit, this is at least how I justify it, is, you know, when I'm home, I'm home. I got, I'm not commuting to an office. Um, you know, there's a lot of time when, I, when I'm home and I'm trying to really be, this is the minute-by-minute the, the minute challenge for being engaged with your kids when you're there. Yeah. You can be there and just not paying attention to them. Um, I remember very early on pushing one of my kids on a, my older daughter on a swing and while I'm looking at the telephone, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, like whatever the hell. I can still remember the swing. You know, like, what are you doing? Put the phone down. Like, it's not bad. Whatever's on, whatever text message or whatever I get, it can wait. Like, I'm literally at the park with, with my two-year-old. Like, this is way more important. So, but I think that's just a struggle everybody has. Whether you travel for work or you have long commute, you can't be home for this, this or that. Um, and then how do you end work and start family time as fast as possible? Because uh, I've heard, like, Mark Cuban say, it's like, time's the most precious thing you have. Like, it's the one thing you can't buy. It's the one thing you can't buy. He's like... Um, and, and, you know, being a parent, man, it's slow and fast at the exact same time. Um, so I don't know. I wish I had the answer to that one, but it's, it's, I think we all struggle with it. I'm sure well, it's in particular, I think you're, you're mentioning like you write from home. I, I do much of my work. Yeah. I got a home radio, home television, you know, I, I write and in my office, like the, the flip switch between I'm, you know, dad at work versus I'm dad at home is I think particularly challenging. Yeah. For people, I don't think it's just us, but I think if you have a job where it's 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 hard to escape from, it's hard to have those delineated hours. Like I remember talking to my dad recently, and when we would go on family vacation, he would take two weeks and he wouldn't talk to anybody at his office. Right, like he would be unreachable, and like we were just as a family out on our own. And on some level, I envy that so much, like that ability to just escape from all contact for a couple of weeks, and I don't know that as a society we're ever going to have that. Oh, there's no way we'll ever have that. I mean, there's just no – I mean, two weeks would be – I mean, it depends what job I guess you have. But um, you're always – you are always too connected now with everything. But, yeah, that would have been – that would be great. But, you know, I look at that and go, he – like, I, it, it, working at home or working around, like, I am – you know, I can get the kids off to school and then start work. Yeah, that's you know, true. Or like, you know, see, so there's no commute. I Man, it's hard. A lot of people commute. Um, or they got to work two jobs. I work two jobs, but 
it's uh, it's a little more flexible. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's just I just think it's something everybody fights every day because you want to do. My I, I've had things like, you know, I've had opportunities like, well, come come here for a week, be on this TV show, or go go do this. And I'll just be like, or you know, you're gonna if you do this, you got to be on the road like the next six Saturday nights, and it's like if it's not. For Yahoo, or I mean, I, I write books. I try to do my second jobs with like books and things that like fit into that. And I'm just like, I'm not giving up all those weekends. Like, I, I'm and I go, I know it's just maybe not the smartest career thing, but like, I really want to be a good parent. And so, like, sometimes I just say no. Um, what? You know, I think like a lot of the guys that do really well on TV, they don't have they aren't, they aren't married. No, yeah, it is true that there like, seems like there's a lot of people uh, who who don't have families or they aren't married, and you know basically you can just have your career. And when you're young, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You were talking earlier about you know you can make twenty two five working for the basketball times or whatever it is because you don't have those obligations. And I do think for to the extent people are listening out there, when you're young and you're not married, or even if you're married and you don't have kids and your wife's working or your husband's working, you have a lot more flexibility. Take advantage of it. Um, and that's the last question I want to ask you. And I'm Clay Travis. We've been talking with Dan Wetzel. We do a weekly podcast here called Wins and Losses. What advice would you give someone out there right now who is listening and they're thinking, I want to one day make a living writing in the world of sports? What would you tell them to do right now? Uh, I mean, I just – and learn how to concentrate. I guess those are the two things. Don't don't worry about what you're covering um, early on. I mean, it's, you know, like, I just it's just not that important. Everybody wants to cover the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl, and there's a ton of people at the Super Bowl who don't know how to cover it. So it's like, if they're like, there's lots of people that are sort of kind of in the media, but they don't, they don't really ever produce anything with substance. And so it's like, you just really have to learn how to do the job. Uh, I, I think there's too much. There's just too many. You're not. You're not going to last unless you know how to. I say that, and I hope I keep lasting. But um, you just. You have to learn how to do the job. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a job. It's not where am I at. Um, and if you can figure out how to think on your feet and interview all sorts of different people and do all these different things and write really quickly and write a lot and get it right, all the different things you have to do, um, then you have the skills, and then you'll get to go to wherever you want to go. But just because it's like a big event, that's not the best stuff you, you do. I guess that's probably the biggest thing. Everyone's always like, oh, you got to go to that. I'm like, eh. You know, like, that's, yeah, yes and no. Like, you always have to remember, like, how fortunate you are to be in it. We used to cover Daytona 500 all the time and the Masters, and, uh, Jay Busby and Jay Hart, guy they work with, we always would take time to get the Daytona 500 on like the Thursday night. They do like a shootout, they do this little race, and we'd always go out in the grandstands and have a beer and just like remind ourselves like how awesome this is. Like you always have to remember like how great it is to be at some place and bring passion to a game, but like just being at the game is not my job is not to go to the game. So. <laughs> It's like just because the game is going on and it's a cool game, that's – and I just think there's so much sports media where it's just like I get to go to the game. And, like, you're probably not going to produce something that's going to keep getting you to go back to the game. 
So learn how to do that, and you probably will be able to do this job for a long time in whatever shape, form this job is. I know I said last question, but I want to go back to the very beginning now. You said when you first started covering UMass in college, the John Calipari Hmm. years, that you'd be like, oh, this is a really big game if Bob Ryan's there. Um, Have you had the Mm -hmm. experience yet, and I'm sure you have, of people coming up to you and they're like, oh, wow, Dan Wetzel, I can't believe you're here. You know, the young guy version of you who's a college-level kid now uh, who is like kind of – Oh my God! It's a it's a really big event because Dan Wetzel's here. And what does that path feel like to have gone from being the kid who's at the event, thinking, "Oh my God, I can't believe Bob Ryan's here," to now maybe occasionally hearing from people, "I can't believe Dan Wetzel's here." Yeah, it's it's definitely weird. Um, I am not on TV a ton, um, so like I don't get that like just random fan. Uh, they, all, they usually all know me. My wife always jokes, like, your groupies are all, like, everybody, like, everybody I know who's, like, a 30 to 49-year-old man knows exactly who you are. <laughs> but, like, no. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's your wheelhouse. All, all the guys. That's my wheelhouse, right? I'm like, yeah, I got the worst groupies. Like, I have no, like, hot 20-year-old girl. No, they don't know who I am. Right, yeah. but the the, the the like forty year old guy mowing his lawn, that Chattanooga, Tennessee, yeah, <laughs> listening to the podcast. Those are my people. Um, yeah, the young writers. Yeah, it's it's. I don't even. It's really unnerving. It's not unnerving. I just don't even know what to say because I'm really a. I'm, I have a very interesting job, but I am a really normal person. Like, yeah, I mow my lawn. I drink Bush Light. I, <laughs> I'm a bad golfer. Like, there's nothing fascinating about my life. Other than the job, that's it. Like I, you know, and so I always just kind of keep a low profile. So I don't know. Like I get it. So I'm sure you get the same thing, and you just sort of like, I don't, like I'm not famous, right? So and I don't try to be famous. So it's just sort of a little odd. I don't know. I guess I never. I don't really know what to say. Except I, you know, I mean, encouraging, flattering, I guess. But it's like, okay, but I'm here to work, and you're here to work. Or um, I was down at Ohio University this year, and. We had lunch with a couple kids, and like, they just knew everything about jur- all the journalism gossip. It was kind of funny, and I don't know. I don't really know how to handle that one. It is interesting you mentioned the, 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 uh, What I always try to think is uh, you, you talked about your, your upbringing. I think the advantage that you have and that I have in some sense and that I worry about, honestly, my kids having, whether they're going to be, is I was raised so middle class and so middle of the road, so middle ordinary that I feel like I understand who the audience is for sports, right? I remember hearing, and this right. is a quote that I've, that I've always loved, like um, there's lots of people who worry about writing for quote-unquote the elites, right? Like I'm trying to write for the people who live in New York City and live on the Upper East Side, or I'm trying to write yeah. for the people who we're live Yahoo. in... We don't, we're not cool for them. We're not yeah, cool right, and the same, same thing like, we're oh, I'm trying Walmart. to write. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right, like, and so, and, and I, I think, you know, from where I came from, I'm writing about SEC football initially, my audience is like literally the the middle part of America, right? Those are the people who love college football, the people who are yeah. opening up a beer and kicking back on their couch to to watch a game. And I, I think that there is, and, and and I'm not saying that being elite is in any way a bad thing, but I think that speaks to you saying like I know what people are going to care about. I remember a, a great quote about uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, right? Like Jerry Bruckheimer makes movies. 
that everybody is going to want to watch, right? Like his goal, right. you know, Transformers, Pirates of the Caribbean, like he's making movies that are going to appeal. Glory for, Road. Made Glory Road. Yeah, right. He and made so, Glory Road, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, oh, he made Glory Road. So that's a great example. Yeah, like yeah. he's trying to speak yeah. to the masses. And he said, like, so he got asked a yeah. question once. He said, uh, somebody said, um, how do you know what moves the needle? Right? It's one of the best all-time quotes I've ever heard. And he said, I am the needle. And I love that response. It's a really cocky answer, right? But it speaks to it on two different levels. One, like, I know what people are going to respond to so I can move the needle as I need to, right? That's one way to take that answer. The other way to take it is I am middle America. I know what people are going to respond to because I am my audience. And I always like to focus on it more on the second part, knowing your audience. And when you just said, you know, I drink Bush Light, I, I mow my own lawn, you know, I, I go to my I go to my daughter's soccer games. Like that is the Yahoo audience, right? That is right, the masses. Right. That's my weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like, I do- we were doing our college we were doing our college football podcast, Tap Forty, and Pete Dam and I do it. Um hell if you've listened to two hours of this podcast, you should listen to that one too. Yeah, but for we'll, sure. we'll start it up soon again. But there was a night when I, I think it was like um Tom Herman and Mike Van Gundy almost got in a fight like during the game last year. It's like some moment they were yelling at each other, jawing, like it was going to be a fight. And I remember there was some notes came out from one of our like a producer, like this is what we need to talk. I'm like, no, we're talking about who'd win the fight. Yeah, like you know, like you know, do you get an advantage because you got got the the mullet? You know, like this is what we're going to talk about on our podcast. Like I'm great on the podcast topic. Like no, we're doing this, this, this because I'm like. You're sitting at home going, I wonder who would win that fight, right? Yes. You know what, here, that's a shame. Uh, this is, what a shame. They need to find these coaches for acting up. Who can't help find them? It was funny. Like, I think Tom Herman would win. You know, I think Gundy, Gundy's got a, like a Bowie knife on him. And all that. I wouldn't fight that guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I just, uh, our topics are completely different than what, they want, what our producer would want us to do. And I feel like, yeah, that's all right. We're doing this. Don't worry. This is what they're talking about. I'm <laughs> not Nobody wants to hear about this. I'm not going to feign outrage that two millionaires almost fight. Let them fight. That'd be great. And then it became actually a big thing. I like, remember they would have uh, Leach, Leach talk about who would win the fight in the Pac-12 and kind of started to become a thing. So, yeah, I I feel very confident in knowing what I – mean, I grew up in the East Coast, so I don't feel foreign to the East Coast. I spent a lot of time in California, but, I mean, I live in the middle of the country. And I, you know, I feel pretty confident in what what my audience is interested in, and 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 what they're not interested in. And sometimes you got to write about stuff they're not, but in a way that's not like drives them crazy, you know. So, um, it's I don't know. It's a, I, so I guess I'm just comfortable with it. I don't. Know. I well, don't want to be me, man. And I, I'll do this. Like I don't care about it. I've never care about awards, like, invited to speak at these, I'm like, I don't want to go to any of that stuff. Like, I'd much rather be home. Like, speak on this panel. Like, no, thanks. God, no. Outstanding stuff, Dan Wetzel. Go follow him on Twitter, at Dan Wetzel. If you've listened to the whole podcast, as I hope you guys have, you definitely need to buy Epic Athletes for one of your kids. They're sports biographies for middle schoolers. Alex Morgan, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, and Serena Williams are going to be out soon. This has been the Wins and Losses podcast. I'm Clay Travis. He's Dan Wetzel. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll talk to you next week. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. 
brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash slash iHeart.